So there, there used to be a minig. Maybe by some they still have the minig. That uh, Shabbos, you eat kugel. Everyone eats kugel Shabbos, but there's more to it. If it was a special Shabbos, what means a special Shabbos? Special Shabbos means where you have two Sifrei Torah, because you have two Kriyas. Like it's Shabbos Rish let's say. So if you take out two Sifrei Torah, the meaning was, you have, for Shabbos, two Kugelach. Now if it was a really extra special Shabbos, what means an extra special Shabbos? Three Sifrei Torah. Like if it's Shabbos, and it's Rishchidosh Tevis, and it's Hanukkah, that's one of the times. You could get, you could get three Sifrei Torah on a Shabbos. So then it was so special, you would eat three Kugelach. Three Sifrei Torah, three Kugelach. So the question always was, it's a, it was always a Chakira, if this is a good minig or it's not a good minig. And the answer, like most things in Judaism, is asavenzach. It depends. It entirely depends. Depends on what? Well, if you sit down at the Shabbos and they serve kugel, and you look at the kugel on the table, and you say, "Ah, Torah," that's a beautiful minig. If, however, you stand up in shul as they open the oring and they bring out the Sefer Torah and you look at the Sefer Torah and you say, ah, kugel, <laughs> then that is not a nice minute. When Rivka after so many years finally is pregnant and she doesn't know that she has twins and she goes to Shem Ve'ever to the base Medrash and she asks why is she in such pain and they explain it to her that you don't have one child you have two children you have Yankiv and you have Esav and they're not two children they're two nations they're two civilizations the Jewish people and Western civilization, Rome, Edom. And they're fighting, like Rashi says, they're fighting over two worlds. A very simple question. If Yankiv Avinu is the Yeshiv, Oil, Ishtam, and he's into Ruchnias, so obviously his interest is in Elam Habo. And if Esav is the Magusham, is the Ish Sadeh, then his interest will be in Elam Hazeh. So then I don't get what the problem is. Let Yankov Avino have the Ruchnias, and Esav Arosha will have the Gashmias. You take Elam Habo, you take Elam Hazeh, and Sholom al Yisrael. But obviously, There's something more to it because they were fighting. 
Why were they fighting? Because it's not that Yankiv wants Ruchnius and Esav wants Gashmius. It's that they both want both. Okay, so now we have a new question. If they both want both, what's the difference between them? If they both want the same thing, they both want Elam Haza and Elam Haba. Gashmius and Ruchnius. So how could you say they're different now? Not only different, but opposite. So what's the difference? The difference is when you sit down at the Shabbos Suda and you see Kogel, do you say Taira? Or when you stand up and they open the order and they bring out a Taira, do you say Kogel? Which is Iker and which is Tafel? Gashmius or Ruchnius? Gashmius. Is the Iker? <laughs> is the Iker. And it depends where you come into the circle, because in Kamach, in Teira, in Teira, in Kamach, and it's a, it's a cycle. They want a Teira. Hmm? They not want a Teira, because over there it says they get a Shailah. A Velam Habo? No, the ones there. They get Hasea. That's what they wanted the Teira. They don't care if they didn't um, take the Teira or not. They know that Teira should exist. The Muslims don't want to send the Torah. The Bnei is another story altogether. Bnei Yishmael is another story altogether. Bnei Yishmael wants Ruchnias. They don't want Gashmias. They like Ruchnias. In fact, they never got over the fact that Yitzchok Avinu was Avram's successor, his Amalei Mokim. And to this day, they see themselves, Bnei Yishmoel, as, uh, I mean, you think about it, when the, when the three uh, Malachim came to visit, so who was it who, who helped with the Hachnos HaSarechim? was Yishmoel. So Yishmoel was raised in this, and everyone knows the Bnei Yishmoel are very big uh, Balei Chesed. Very into Chesed. Problem is that Chesed is also his Pashtus. Like we say, Lecho Hashem HaGdula Vagvura. Chesed is also called Gdula because it's his Pashtus. So they're very into hospitality. Mamish, like, like Roshetevis Eishel. Chila, Shtia, Levia, Adhayim. Very into it. But it also comes with the flip side of Chesed because it's Chesed Dulamazah. So the flip side of Chesed is, I'm going to give you, but you better not say no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give it to you and you're going to like it. It's on my terms. It's called expansionism. It's called world domination. But they're very much into Ruchnius and they see themselves as those who are going to bring morality and monotheism and Tznius to the world. When they got um, hmm? uh, Ramadan, Ramadan's coming up by now. Don't ask me these. <laughs> now you're above my pay grade. But the point is that Esav is not into. Ruchnius in, in and of itself. Esav is in the Gashmius, but if you know how the world works, you have to figure out how to have some Ruchnius because you trade the Ruchnius with the Evishta for the Gashmius. The Rebbe Marash had a Rebbe's and Rebbe's and Rivka, and she was not well, and the doctor prescribed medicine. So he told her two things. You have to have the medicine first thing in the morning, and you have to have it on a full stomach. 
she didn't want to do that because first thing in the morning she wanted to daven. Didn't want to eat before davening. So she stayed in Shulchan Aruch, you're not allowed. So she came up with a kuntz. She had a, 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 a trick. She's going to get up much earlier than she normally gets up. She's going to daven first. And then, at the time when she would normally be getting up, she'll already be after davening. She'll eat something and take her medicine. And then it's as if she took the medicine first thing in the morning, because it's the time that used to be first thing in the morning, even though she was really getting up much earlier. And her shver, the tzemach tzedek, found out what she was doing and told her this is not good. And he told her like this. He said, Which has a double meaning. Far means chronologically, to do one thing first, but also tzulib, for the sake of. One worldview is, yeah, of course I need Gashmias. For the sake of Ruchnias. That's Esen Farandavnin. That's the Jewish worldview. The other, the other worldview is Esen. Of course I need Ruchnias. I trade that in with the Abishta for the stuff I like. What do I got to do for you? The Abishta likes mitzvahs, I'll give him some mitzvahs, and he should give me a 10 speed bike or whatever it is that I like. But the point is that by Eden, the fight, the struggle, the clash of civilizations that's been going on since Yankov and Esav is about how Elam Hazeh gets used. That's the whole fight. How does Elam Hazeh, how does Gashmias get used? What's the, pro- what's the proper use of Gashmias? What's the proper role of Gashmias? See, we can't, as Eden, renounce the physical world. We learned that early, early, early in our history. In the Midbar already, we had, we had uh, people who wanted to just be spiritual. They were the Meraglim. And they said that the land is Eichla Yeshveh, that it devours those who settle in it. And they preferred to have a totally spiritual Yiddishkeit. And Meshur Rabbeinu told them that they're dead wrong, they missed the boat. That it has to be mitzvah maisiyas dafke. You can't just be spiritual. So by Eden, the whole struggle is, and our whole mission in the world is, to introduce the idea of a healthy relationship with Gashmias. Okay, what does this have to do with Lag Beimer? The Gemara, Shabbos, Dav Lamed Gimel, Omer Beis, which Beshkocha Pratis, Rabbi Shimon's Yem Simchose Shal Rashbi is Lag Boimer, it's the 33rd of the Eimer. And the Maise of Rabbi Shimon is Shabbos, Dav Lamed Gimel, it's on the 33rd page. And in fact, for those who count, I didn't count it myself, but it's the 33rd time in Shas that Rabbi Shimon's name is mentioned. So the Mai says like this. The Gemara starts and asks like this. First of all, it says, Why was Rabbi Yehuda Bar-Eloi called Rosh Medabrim, Bechol Mokim? 
he was always the first speaker. The Romans instituted that whenever the Eden would have a, a gathering, the, Rabbi Yehuda had to speak first. By the way, there's a, there's a cute vort about that. In the Haggadah, when we say the, the Makais, and after we say the, you know, the Dom Tzvadei Akinim, so then we say the, uh, the Rosh Hatevis. Tatsach, right. Rabbi Yehuda Hoya Noisin Lohem Simonim. The Rabbi Yehuda, he, he synapsized them into Rosh Hatevis. So, the fourth is, why was Rabbi Yehuda Rosh Hamedabrim Bechomokim? Why would they always be mechabed him to speak? Because he knew the first rule of a good speech is condense, condense, right? He put it into Rosh Hatevis, like the old Vort. The, the, the three most important parts of a sermon, the three most important features of a sermon. First one is you have to have a good opening. Second is you have to have a good closing. And the third thing is those two should be as close together as possible. <laughs> so Rabbi Yehuda was Rosh Hamedabrim. He was the head speaker. But why was he the head speaker? The real reason, the Gemara explains, is because there was one time Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yesi, Rabbi Shimon were sitting together and they were discussing current events. And Rabbi Yehuda said, How pleasant are the deeds of this nation, referring to the ruling nation, referring to Rome. So Rabbi Yesi didn't say anything. He just uh, he pleaded the fifth. And Rabbi Shimon said, what are you talking about? Rabbi Yehuda had given examples that they make uh, marketplaces and they make bridges and they make bathhouses. So Rabbi Shimon says to him, what are you talking about? All of these things, they only do for themselves. The marketplaces, they put zainos there. And uh, the, the, the bridges is to, tar to charge tolls. And the, the bathhouses is for their own pleasure. So you're saying that they're building uh, civilization. They're not building civilization. They're, they're doing what's good for them. At any rate, the story proceeds with there was a fourth person present, Rabbi Yehuda ben Gedim, and he let the cat out of the bag. He started telling the story, and uh, somebody, you know, somebody, it was a WhatsApp forward, and then, you know, before you know it, you don't even know where it came from, and the whole, the whole Elam knows it by that afternoon. And then everybody knew, and then by that time the Malchus found out that Rabbi Shimon was, was talking about, was talking about them. There's a, there's a, there's a question about this conversation. It's not my question. Marashaw asks this question. Marashaw asks, this dialogue, Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon, that part, I mean, Rabbi Yehuda didn't have much, uh, <laughs> he didn't really take place in, the, he didn't take part in the dialogue. It says that he was, he shot, shot, he didn't speak. By the way, you know about there was a little boy and he came home from school and he told his mother that he's in the school play. She says, what part are you playing? He says, I'm playing a Jewish father. She says, no, go back to your teacher and tell her you want a speaking part. <laughs> so Rabbi Yesi was the, the non-speaking part. At any rate, so this conversation between 
Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon. Kamanoi, Maise, Umazu, that they make, they make uh, marketplaces and bridges and bathhouses. This is in the very beginning of Mesechta Avedazara. This is Mamish talks about in the Gemara and the Yema Dina Godel. When the Abishter is judging Rome, it says he judges all the nations, but he starts with Rome and asks why he starts with Rome, and there's an answer to the why he starts with Rome, Dafka. But at any rate, the Abishter is judging all the nations. This is the end of history, and uh, you know, pencils down, hand in your tests, and the Abishter is seeing how the different nations did. And he starts with Rome, and he gives them their, their, their din v'cheshben, and he says, You guys are no good. And they say, Hold on a second. Look what we did. Look what we built. We built this. Look what we built. And they say all these things. We built the, 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 the bridges and the marketplaces. And, 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 and why did we do it? They say, so the Jews would be free to, to learn Torah. And the Abishta says, who do you think you're fooling? You did it for yourself. Get out of here. So Marashor asks this question. This is the conversation that the Abishta has with Rome and the Yemedin Agodol. Rabbi Yehuda says different? No, Ramashal says, of course, Rabbi Yehuda is made that that's how the conversation is going to go down. Rather, he was making a political choice. This is what the Marashal says. He made a political choice that he said half the story. Half the story is, come and know say, umazu. The stuff they do, the actions, if you just look at the the accomplishment of it, and you totally ignore the self-serving motive, okay, so they accomplish a lot, they do, you know, they, they, they get a lot done. And it's true, if you look at Rome, which, by the way, in that Gomorrah, in Avedizorah, you know what it says? One of the reasons, see, first Rome is judged, and then Persia. And it says one of the reasons why Rome and Persia, it says because these two kingdoms exist until Mashiach comes. By the way, I was talking to a professor recently, he told me Rome never fell. It just changed. I mean, Api Kabola, Rome never fell also. Edom is still alive. Edom is Western civilization. Europe and now America. Western civilization. And if you look at what Western civilization has accomplished as far as technology and transportation and architecture and building and medicine and all the accomplishments within Elam Hazah, within Gashmias. If you just look at it by itself, it is very impressive what Western civilization has built. By the way, but I think it's interesting when Yidin, when we lump ourselves together with Western civilization. You know the, what, you know the expression, the terrorists are winning? When we lump ourselves together with Western civilization, the terrorists are winning. When the B'nai Yishmoel provoke us so much that we think that our salvation is with Edoin, with Western civilization, not that we have anything against them, but they are Asif. And we do have to struggle to overcome them. Not the way B'nai Yishmoel want to struggle to overcome They want to get rid of them. That's ridiculous. <laughs> you don't get rid of them. I'll explain in a second what, the, what, you, what you do with them. You don't hurt them. God forbid. There's a use. Hold, hold, hold on a second. We are not Western civilization. We never have been. To the contrary, we're on a seesaw. And when Western civilization goes up, we go down. When we go up, they go down. As far as in power. 
I'll explain what that means. By the way, you know that in Shanghai, there was a, a Japanese governor, because the Japanese were administering uh, Manchuria at the time, and he was getting pressure from the Nazis, to, to round up the Jews and send them back. So they had a meeting with Dam Shanover. And he was the representative of the Eden. And it was done through a translator, a Matorgoan. And the Japanese governor asks, opens up the meeting, and the first thing he asks, ask him, meaning ask Dam Shanover, why the Germans hate you so much, meaning hate the Yidin. And Lamshanover told the translator, Zostem Zogin, you should tell him, tell the Japanese governor, Valmir Zainin Orientalen, because we're Orientals. <laughs> and that was the end of the meeting. And you see, the Japanese governor found something else to do. We're not from Western civilization. Yankov and Esav are two different civilizations. And what's our relationship with them? Very simple. The Medrash says, the Medrash says a marshal. The marshal is like this. That there was once a man who was at, away at a war, in a battle. And he was dying in this battlefield. And he got back to camp and he knew he's not going to make it home and the only one he had with him was his Evid Rosha and he says this wise man says to the Evid Rosha I want you to inherit me everything I own is yours and I'm writing you a star I'm writing a contract and you should bring it to Besden they should be Mekayim the star and he writes that out I'm giving everything to my Evid he says, but listen, one thing, I have a son, I love my son. He should pick one thing from my nechassim, one thing, but everything else goes to you. So the Evid was only too happy to bring this star back home and bring it to Bezdin. Comes to the Bezdin, and look, they look it over, looks kosher, <coughs> they call in the son. The son starts crying, why is it that his father gave away everything to this avid? He gave him only one thing. What's he going to pick? What thing should he pick? You know, the condo in Florida? He come to avid. Huh? Oh, you guys know the story. No, you just, you're the shakab. You figured it out. That's what you would do. But in the marshal, he didn't figure that out. In the marshal, it says, there was there was a wise person there who showed up and he took the son aside and he said, Hey, Boychik, listen, don't be sad. Your father was a very wise man. He knew this Evid's going to rip him off. If he would not write this contract in this way, the Evid's going to come back and make up all types of stories. He did the one thing that was going to secure the delivery of your inheritance. He made the Evid feel that he was getting it. And that way, he was only too happy to make sure that the contract should be uh, verified in, in Besden. And now all you have to do is, okay, you guys already said the punchline, all you have to do is choose the Evid. And everything that the Evid owns, you own. Okay. 
So that's a mashal. That never happened. That's a mashal. Medrash says, what's the nimshal? That Ba'amis, everything that Edoim, that Western civilization accomplishes, all of their breakthroughs in Gashmias, in technology, in innovation, invention. Really, when Mashiach comes, we're gonna see why it was why it was there. It was all the tirits that they gave in in, in the Gemara Naveda Zara that we did it so Yidin would be free to learn Torah. That it was baloney when they said it. But in reality, that is what it's going to be. It is really for the sake that the world should be an easier place to live, and that even bederech hatava, that Yidin should be able to sit and learn Torah. And uh, the world should basically run itself, and everyone should be fed, and everyone should be safe, and everything should, you know, run smoothly because of all this stuff that Western civilization was able to, to innovate. But if they knew that the whole purpose of thousands of years of building and innovation was ultimately, if they knew all along, eventually they're going to know, but if they knew all along that they were building this for the sake of Torah and mitzvahs, they would not be very motivated. And they wouldn't have done any of the stuff that they did. So they had to think, like the Avid who thought that he's going to inherit, they had to think it was for themselves. But in the end, everything that they create is really for the sake of Torah and mitzvahs. So this is the deeper conversation. The deeper conversation of Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda is our relationship with Western civilization, which is also our relationship with Gashmias and Elam Hazer. It's all one thing. It's all one concept. As Eden, we cannot go sit on a mountaintop and meditate and be miyachet yechodim and be totally spiritual for that the neshama didn't have to come lamata into a body and with that the Abishta is never going to get his dira betachtoidim is never going to have a dwelling place in this world no, the only reason the neshama came down here and the only way the Abishta is going to get what he wants his taiva, which is a dira lo yisbarech betachtoidim is through Gashmias. It's unavoidable. So really, the perspective of Torah, <coughs> you know, Torah was given in Chaydesh HaShlishi. The Gemara in Shabbos talks about all the different Shlishis. That the Torah is a threefold Torah. Torah Nevi'im Ksuvim. It was given to a threefold nation of Yisrael, Levi, Cain, and it was given on the third day of Agbala through a third-born child, Meshur Rabbeinu, who had two older siblings, and many other threes. And it was given in the third month. What's the idea of the third month? That's what it, that's, that is the third month. What's the idea of the third month? Shlishi is not just a number. Shlishi is a concept. Rishon is a concept. Sheni is a concept. Shlishi is a concept. Conceptually, Rishon, Shani, and Shlishi, if you want to talk philosophically, 
is thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Thesis means a thesis statement. A, this is what it is. Antithesis is the antithesis, an opposite statement, a contradictory statement. B. Synthesis is a truth that's big enough to combine A and B and not be mavato or even mitigate either one of them. That's C. What's an example of this? We say every day, the Braisa of Rabbi Yishmael, before davening. So you have this is A and B. And you cannot resolve them because they seem they seem to be bestira, they seem to be a contradiction. In reality, they're not a contradiction, they're a paradox. A paradox, by the way, technically is a seeming contradiction, something that seems unresolvable, but, but on further uh, contemplation we see that it is it can be resolved. By the way, when one PhD marries another PhD, you know what you got? A paradox. <laughs> I didn't write that joke, don't worry. Okay. So you have A and B, and they don't, they can't both be true. They can't possibly both be true. Let's say, somebody, uh, he's never been to New York. And he asks you, what's the weather like in New York? And you tell him, well, I'll tell you, you know, we have the air conditioning running during the Fabregen because it's hot and muggy. And then another guy, he says, no, New York, it's bitter cold, it's freezing. How could they, how could they both be right? You know the, the story about the, the husband and the wife who came to the Rav? They had tainas on each other. So the husband said his whole story. Yeah. The rabbi says, you're right. The wife says, hold on, I have, I, I have my version. Okay, Zog. He says, she says her version. He says, you're right. The rabbi's own rabbitson's walking by and she pokes her head in and she says, how can they both be right? That's not possible. He looks at her and says, you're right. <laughs> Torah is Chedesh HaShlishi, is the Indian of Shlishi. That A and B are bestira, they are contradicting each other, and they seem to be irresolvable, but when you stand from a higher perspective, they both make sense. So how could one guy say that New York is hot and muggy, another guy says that New York is bitter cold, and then a third guy comes in and says, Chave, let me explain something to you. It's called seasons, okay? <laughs> you visited New York in July, you visited New York in January, and it's in a temperate zone and the seasons, uh, the, the weather changes throughout the year. Wow, what do you know? They were both true, and I didn't have to make either of them less true. See, when you have the cost of a shlishi always has to be a higher truth than either of the two contradictory statements. That's how it resolves the two contradictory statements. It's like standing on a, on a mountain and seeing the big picture. So a person who's standing down on the ground, one person says, I'm standing here and I see that, uh, that, that there's, a, there's a forest. And the other person says, no, I see houses. It's a, it's a city. 
And then you go up to the top of the mountain, you look down, and you say, well, hold on a second, there's one valley, and in one part of the valley is the forest, and the other part of the valley is the city. It's not a contradiction. That's the union of Tiferes. Tiferes doesn't mean you take a little chesed, you take a little gvora, and you mix them together, and you get lukewarm water. Mix them together, and uh, hot water, cold water, and then lukewarm water. That's not what Tiferes is. Tiferes is the kavam tsoi is eila alkulona. The middle track always is higher. And it's higher because it can retain, chesed can remain chesed in, in, in its full glory. And gvoda remains gvoda. And doesn't have to be any less gvoda. And you put them together and they can both beat, they, they can harmony, Tiferes harmony is that two opposites are not contradicting each other, they're not lessening each other, they're not diluting each other, because there's room for all of it. There's space, there's room, but that's only from a higher perspective. Torah is the higher perspective. So, in terms of A, B, C, synthesis, antithesis, uh, thesis, antithesis, synthesis, Rishin, Shani, and Shlishi, of Torah, Be'ikr, what is the thesis, what is the antithesis, and what is the synthesis? Nisan is Malashan Nisim. And the whole Tnua of Chedish Nisan is Milmaila Lamata. And that's why it's also called Chedish Ha'aviv, which is Aleph base. From the top to the bottom. Everything is Milmaila Lamata, Ruchnias. Chedish Iyar is the opposite. Here is Be'ikr Bir Vatikan Amidais. In Mazolis, it's Mazol Shoir. Like Shleim Melech says, that That there's a lot of yield from the strength of an axe. The Nevjabamis gets involved. That's also the Pasuk from Shira Shirim. Mashcheni, Mashcheni, pull me. That's Nisan. Shlep me out of Memtesh Sharituma because I can't get out on my own. The Ebishta does all the work. Second phase, we will run after you. So now it's we, because the Nevjabamis is involved, and it's, it's also Nerutza. I'm going faster because now I have the Nevjabamis as my engine. And that's Milmata Lamaila. That's why every day of year is Sfira, and you're cleaning up and polishing another aspect of, of the Nevjabamis, one at a time. And then comes Chedesh Ashlishi. And you ask the question, so hold on a second, which is the main thing? Below to above, above to below? And the answer is yes. Is it Ruchnius or is it Gashmius? Yes. It's like there's a Hayyem Yem that says that there are three different perspectives within Torah, or three different approaches to Torah, to Yiddishkeit. There are maybe more, but these are three general categories. One says that you have to realize the, the, the relative worthlessness of Gashmias. That all the Tainuge Elam Hazeh are temporal, they're fleeting, they don't last. You have to realize they're not really the, 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 the relative lack of worth of Gashmias. And it says that's called Tedas Hamusar. Then there's another perspective. 
And that is, you have to realize the, the preciousness of Ruchnius. Of the Tzura, over the Choymer. That spirituality is more precious than, than physicality. And that's called Chakira. And then there's another perspective that says that one Eibishter, Hashem Echad, made Tzura and Choymer, made Ruchnius and Gashmius, Elam Habo and Elam Hazer, and we have to create the proper relationship between the two, that's called Teiras Achsidis. Achsidis is a, is a continuation of the revelation of Pnimiyas Teirah that begins from Rashbi. Maybe you heard the Rebbe said the word about uh, it says in Sfarim that Bereish Gli, when the Yidin went out of Mitzrayim, Bereish Gli, the, the Targum says, Biyad Roma, that they went out with a high hand, which means with pride, the Targum is Bereish Gli. So Bereish is Roshatevis, Rabbi Shimon ben Yechai. It's also Roshatevis of Rabbi Yitzchak ben Shleime, that's the Arizal. It's also Rabbi Yisrael ben Sora, the Baal Shem Tov. And the Rebbe said, somebody said to me, and I won't object to it because it fits so well, Rabbi Yisrael Yitzchak ben Shalom Be'er, Shalom Deber, or ben Shter Nasara. So, Yem Simchasi Shal Rajbi, Pnimiyas HaTayra Tayra Sabal Shamtuv We're in a place that's named for the Baal Shamtuv It's all one kav, it's all one timeline through history of working out this conflict that existed since Yankiv and Esav How do we create in ourselves and in the world, also in the world, the proper and healthy balance between Ruchnius and Gashmius, the proper relationship between Ruchnius and Gashmius. One attitude says it's the Ruchnius, one attitude says it's the Gashmius, and Torah says yes, Chedesh It's both. Obviously you can't be a Magushim, a hedonist, to live only for, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You can't just be as Malikzich in, in, in Gashmius, in Taivas, Elam Hazah. Okay, who, who even thinks of this? But conversely, you can't be a spiritual escapist. You can't be running off of the... Mechap Molochim, Giloyim. And you call that, you call that Yiddishkeit. No, Yiddishkeit is... What Yankif fought Asa for? He says, give me that Elam Hazah. I can't let you take the Elam Hazah. I need the Elam Hazah. Adarabba, if anything, if you're going to be involved in Elam Hazah, it's got to be for me, even if you don't know it's for me. And if you're not doing it for me, if you're not doing it for the sake of Torah, well, then that's when a Yid has to get involved in Gashmias. 
And you can't have too, too much hmm? entertainment. You can't go to too many ball games, too many amusement parks, right? too many shows or whatever. That, that's too much. Like, gosh, that you're overdoing it or whatever. Yeah, it has nothing to do with the, the amusement parks and the, and the ball games. That's yeah, it. No, no, no. no. It has nothing to do with amusement parks and ball games because you're making it about the what. It's not about the uh, not about the what. It's about the how. <laughs> it's not about the what. It's about the how. See. Have a little bit of it. No, no, no. It's not. It's never about the what. It's about the how. What is it? Ninety-nine percent of Elam Haza is mutter. Very little of it is Gimoklipa Satameyas. So, 99% of Elamazah, the what is fine. The question is how. How are you going to use it? How are you going to use it? Are you going to look at Kogel and see Taira, or are you going to look at Taira and see Kogel? What's your end game? What's your purpose? Anything mutter can potentially be used the right way. Or not. Misused. And wasted. And can become destructive. It's not the what, it's the how. It's not the hefza, it's the gavra. Sorry to say, and maybe I shouldn't say it on video where everybody can publicize it, but I think in the from world we have an obsession with the heftza over the gavra. We like to make the problem to be about things. It's not about things, it's about how people use things. If you don't have Yiddish Shemayim, <laughs> we can't trust you with anything. In your own house, you have meat and you have milk, who knows what you're going to do there when no one's looking. It's not the what, it's the how. So how do we learn the how? How do we learn the appropriate relationship? Okay, like I said, there's different approaches. One is that we're going to make sure that we realize how, how nasty the Gashmias is. Ah, fat Gashmias, yuck. That's one approach. Another approach is, I'm going to build up how beautiful the Ruchnias is. Abstraction and concepts and ideas and philosophy. That's another approach. And then a third approach is, I'm going to explain to you that both Gashmias and Ruchnias were created for the same purpose. That Hashem Echod created both. Elam Haza, Elam Haba, Gashmias, Ruchnias, Guf, Neshama, and it's all for one purpose. And when you use them together for one purpose, then everything's healthy, everything's good, everything's Mashiach Dek. When we forget the purpose, then even a kosher what can become a not kosher how. But let's not say it in the negative, let's say it in the positive. Panemia Satayra reminds us of what the world is here for and what we are here for. And the proper way to have a relationship with the world. And when we remember that, when we have that end game in mind, then everything is fine, everything is good. We don't have to be afraid of, of Elam Hazeh. If we don't know what the world is here for, then yeah, I guess you do have to be afraid of Elam Hazeh. Because you don't even have a fighting chance. You don't even know how to use Gashmias if you would be introduced to it. Everything that the Abishta gives us in Gashmias 
is potential Ruchnias. This is what the Pasuk says. The Alter Rebbe said, Where do you see the Goy Echod? Yidin are a Goy Echod, a nation of Achtos Hashem. Where do you see our relationship with the unity, the oneness of the Abishter? Because you know, when sometimes I'll speak to Goyim and I'll ask them, and I just do it to, to remind myself, um, there's certain concepts that are still uniquely Jewish. And I'll ask them, you know, is, is, is God creator or creation? And they jump so fast to say creator. And I say, then what does it mean? The hero Israel, the Lord is one. The Lord is, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. And they say it means that there's one God. And I tell them, no, that's what it says in the second of the Ten Commandments. You should have no other gods. Here it doesn't say the Lord is one God, that there's one God. It says the Lord is one. Oneness. Totality. Everythingness. So if you're going to tell me, is God creator or creation, the only answer to that is, yes. <laughs> yes, that's shlishi. Is the Eivishli Ruchnius or Gashmius? Yes, Atzmus, Ruchnius and Gashmius. Hashem Echod, who made both. So, We have to remember like this. The Ebishter made the Ruchnias, he made the Gashmias. You cannot limit the Ebishter to be more Ruchnias, more Gashmias. It doesn't work. We need both. But in order to have both, to have them in a healthy way, we have to understand how to use them, the relationship between them. Asin Faran Davnin, not Davnin Faran Asin. Asin Sulib Davnin. But really, Yidin are goy echad ba'aretz. Ba'aretz. That in Gashmias you see that a Yid has a shaykh to atzmos, which means the essence of the Yid, which transcends physicality and spirituality. Davka in the Yid's relationship, ba'aretz, with, with Gashmias. So as the Yid to Gashmias, the Yidin take Gashmias, and make from Gashmis Ruchnias. You know, the Baal Shem Tov once he saw in a vision who's going to be in his Mechitza in Elam Haba. He saw there was a guy, a, an Ish Poshet, and he didn't understand his Chus, so he wanted to meet the guy. It was arranged, Milmaila, the Baal Shem Tov should meet this fellow. He comes to his house, the guy answers the door. He's a big guy, he's a balbosser, he's a big heavy guy. Just, you know, you could imagine, like a heavy guy. <laughs> okay, just use your imagination. <laughs> By the way, I was in England a few weeks ago, and some guy asked me a question. I don't even remember, it was so out of left field. Some sort of a question, it was, I, I said, I, it was not, had nothing to do with the drosha. And afterwards, he asked me a question about nutrition. And I said, first of all, I, I just want, I told him I was in England, so I said, first of all, I just want to, I, I just want to mention, you know, I'm an American. And he, he says, well, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so at any rate, um, there's the big heavy guy answered the door. 
And uh, so Baal Shem Tov comes in, and the guy sits him down, and he's eating. And he eats, and he can eat. Oh yeah, he's, he's putting it away. And then he finishes eating. And, uh, you know, what do you do? After you finish lunch, or after you finish breakfast at the bagel shop at 11 a.m., as you talk about where we're going to go for lunch at 1 p.m., right? So he was living the life. So the guy starts talking about what are they going to have for lunch. And then it's lunch, and he, again, he's packing it away. And then soon after that, what are we going to have for dinner? And he's eat, the guy's just eating the whole time. So it's not like, you know, he had like a medical issue why he's so heavy. The guy is just constantly eating. And he was an ish pashit. He couldn't really converse about much else. So all he was talking about was food. You know, it's good when you put the butter on the, on the potatoes and the, whatever he was talking that, that was his conversation. And the Balshemta is not getting it. What's so high and mighty about this guy that he's going to be with him in Elam Haba? So finally, the Baal Shem Tov asks him, he's like, my high, what's this all about? What's with the eating? So the guy, again, he was very simple, and he says, my father was a potash, an ascetic, someone who renounced Elam Hazet. He had nothing to do with Gashmis. He said, my father slept in the shul on a bench, came home once a week, came home Shabbos. All week long, he'd eat a crust of bread, lukewarm water, that was it. Barely ate. And he just sat and he learned. One night, he says, I was a kid, and the Cossacks were, were drunk and lawless, and uh, they came into town and they were looking to murder somebody just for sport. And all the Jews ran home and they locked up the doors and they were hiding. He says, the only one they could find was my father, because he was sitting there in the base medrash and he was learning. He was totally above everything that was happening around him. He was just sitting and learning, so they walked in, he was easy pickings, they just grabbed him, they pulled him out of the base medrash, they tied him up in the middle of the town, they set fire to him. And he was so skinny, he was so skinny, that when they lit fire to him, within seconds his entire body was reduced to ash. So this big fat guy looks at the Baal Shem Tov and he says, when the Goyim come for me, I'm going to burn good and long. Now, this goes in the category of don't try this at home. Because, no, because you're going to be like Rome in the Gemara Novetizo we mentioned uh, earlier. You're going to say, God, all that I ate, it was only from a citizen nefesh in case the Cossacks come and burn me. And the Abish is going to say, don't fool me, uh, it's a bunch of baloney, you did it for your own uh, gratification. But for this guy, it was real. For this guy, it was real. He was eating the Mesidus nefesh, Al-Kiddush Hashem, that every calorie he consumed and that he turned into flesh, to him, that was just storehousing potential flames of Kiddush Hashem. So in his mind, it wasn't Gashmias, it was potential Ruchnias. He was storing up flame, fuel for the flame. And that's, the truth is, that's the proper relationship with Gashmias. The, what? It's Yom HaKippurim and Purim. That's right. And Purim is higher than Kippurim. Yeah, one day you focus on the soul and Hashem, and one day you focus on the Gulf of Rider. 
but but it's not the focus on one or the other. It's not, do we focus on the... Today are we focusing on the body or are we focusing on the soul? And the Jewish answer is always yes. Is it A or is it B? And the Jewish answer is always C. The cost of Ashlishi. So is it Ruchnias or Gashmias? It's the whole package. But with, with Panimia Satoida, which gives us the healthy outlook on it, yeah? seems like, I mean, I remember, I get what you're saying here, with this gosh, this soul and body. What about, like, in a very basic way, even if, even within the story you just told, <clears throat> the idea of justice, like, just very simple, like, the issues that we have with Asa, you know, in your in the story you just told, and in the world around us today, and in the, you know, in the last hundred years, the idea of just plain, simple justice, like, and that that's really the issue here regarding Asa and Yaakov, to stop the enormous injustice and arrogant spirit which causes a lot of horrific things to occur. What about that? I hear you. And that's why Torah is helpful to focus us and not let us get distracted. Because I hear the question... But if you look at the perspective that Torah gives us, that goes back to the very beginning, Yankiv and Esav, it sets up the paradigm for us. That this is not about justice and injustice, this is not about why bad things happen to good people, this is not about uh, law and order. This is about the struggle between physical and spiritual. That's what it comes down to. Everything else is a red herring, is a distraction. When there will be the proper relationship between physical and spiritual, then there will also be justice. Then there will also be security and safety and health and everything else that's good. In other words, you can't look at it from a secular point of view. A secular point of view says, what are the ills of society? And let's tackle them. A, a Jewish point of view is that the only real solution for the ills of this world is Mashiach. And what is Mashiach? Mashiach is the ultimate harmonization of Gashmias and Uchnias. That's why Mashiach is something that happens in Elam Hazet. And it happens through the actions that we do in Elam Hazet. It's not heaven, it's earth. But it's holier than heaven happening on earth. So every, every dysfunction that exists in the world is a symptom underlying core problem is always the imbalance or the inappropriate relationship between Gashmias and Ruchnias. That's how it's been since the very beginning. Panimia Satayda comes and A, makes us not forget that that's the problem, keeps us focused on what the real problem is, and B, gives us a means to the solution. That the solution is harmonizing the Gashmias and the Ruchnias. That you can't have one extreme or the other extreme. You know, I, 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 I won't say where it is because Flatbush is a big area, so you'll have no idea who I'm talking about. But I was talking to a bunch of kids who are not religious as of now. These are the kids who you call <laughs> yeshiva dropouts. These are kids who hit rock bottom real rock bottom. Um, they were out on the streets, they were on drugs, and now, thank God, they're getting sober. They're not from yet, but 
each person, you know, they, they, they have their own, their own path, their own process, and, 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 we, and we hope. I mean, that was kind of why I was there talking with them, was to give them an opportunity to have, uh, I, I mean, to just basically call it giving, giving them a fighting chance to actually have some positive associations with Yiddishkeit. That was basically my job. Um, so, I was talking with these Hebrews. They're not from. They're not Shema Shabbos, okay? And to put it mildly. And I was learning with them. And we came to, I don't remember how it came up, but we came to something where I mentioned Tchiyas HaMesim. Now Tchiyas HaMesim was one of the Yud Gimel Ikrim, okay? Basic Judaism. They were aware of, of the concept, but I, I presented it to them in a way that kind of confused them. Because I, what I said to them is that when Tchiyas HaMesim occurs, then all the Nishamas that are in Gan Eden right now are going to leave Gan Eden. They're going to make a U-turn. They've been making Aliyah and Neshama. And they're going to make a U-turn. They're going to come back down. Nishmas Moshe Rabbeinu Olav Every Zion other has another Aliyah and Neshama for 3,300 years. He's in the highest levels of Gan Eden now. When Tchiyas HaMesim is going to happen, Nishmas Moshe Rabbeinu is going to make a U-turn and come back into a Guf Gashmi in Elam Hazer. So I said to them, I was trying to explain, I was trying to make the point that ultimately it's not about Gan Eden. That's sort of a temporary or in-between thing. That's where to put Neshamas to give them reward in the interim while we're perfecting this world. But the ultimate thing is Elam Hazer, is Mashiach. So I was bringing that point out. I said, think about it. How do you know that, that, that Elam Hazem, Mashiach, is the ultimate point? That these neshamas from the, from the highest levels are going to leave the highest levels and they're going to come down here. I thought that was a very clear, simple point. And these kids who are not from, who, who, who claim not to believe in God, they look at me and they say, and I'll clean up the language a little bit. <laughs> they said, those neshamas are going to be so upset. <laughs> and I was floored. Because in their mind, those neshamas in Tchiyas HaMesim are going to be so upset. Because what, what are they thinking? What, what, what were they taught to think? That the whole purpose... The whole end game is it's all up there. It's all Elam Haba. It's all Elam and Neshamas, Gan Eden. Gan Eden Atachten, Gan Eden but it's all Ruchnias. And they're not from, but that, that one idea, <laughs> that one kind of never left them. To the extent when you say to them, Neshamas are going to leave the highest levels of Gan Eden and come back in a body through Tchesem and they're like, oh, those Neshamas are going to be so upset. Why are you bothering the neshamas? You're taking them out of Ruchnias, you're putting them in Gashmas, that's so terrible. It's a, it's a, it's a funny perspective, isn't it? It's a funny, uh, funny way of looking at life. So they think that Mashiach is going to be a disruption for the schar that neshamas are enjoying. That's a funny way of looking at Yiddishkeit.
That's getting all the Ruchnias and forgetting the Gashmias. <coughs> the point is, the Ebishter had a Taiva. Why did he have this Taiva? Like the Alter Rebbe said, That's what makes it a Taiva. If it were a Svara Sichlis, if it were an intelligent idea, you could say to someone, well, why do you think that way? And if they can't explain it to you, then you can say, well, your idea makes no sense. Because that's fair fighting. If somebody says, I have an idea, well, explain it to me. I can't explain it. Then maybe your idea is wrong. Or maybe you don't understand what you think, you, what, what, what you think the idea is. Because an idea has to be intelligible. It has to make sense. And if it doesn't make sense, it's not a very good idea. But if somebody says, I have a taiva. What's your taiva? I want to paint all the walls orange. Well, why? Explain that. I can't explain it. Hey, then you don't really want to paint the... No. The more that I can't explain it, the more of a taiva it really is. So the Ebishnah had a taiva. Nisava liyesle did a betachtainim. Why? It has something to do, to my understanding, with the Chiddush of that paradox we were talking about before. That is it Gashmias, is it Ruchnias? Yes. Is it Neshama or is it Guf? Yes. So something to do with the, with the Chiddush of that ultimate paradox. That the finite will be the ultimate revelation of the infinite. Right? That the Neshama ultimately will be most revealed in a Guf. And that not only will the neshama be most revealed in a guf, but when Mashiach comes, the neshama is going to be sustained by the guf instead of the guf being sustained by the neshama. This world, Elam Haza, is going to be holier than Elam Haba. Okay, crazy stuff. We can't wrap our minds around it. We, we don't really need to wrap our minds around it. We just have to know that's what it is that's going to happen. We have to work to, make, to making it happen sooner. But the point is, again, since the beginning, our struggle is about getting this together, this harmonization of body and soul. You can't have one without the other. Pneumia Satayra comes along. Rabbi Shimon ben Yechai comes along. And all of those in each door who brought us to another level of Pneumia Satayra, they come along and they, and they keep us focused on this one thing. Is it Gashmias or is it Ruchnis? Yes. Is it Gul for Neshama? Yes. And they teach us how to use the Gashmias in harmony with the, with the Ruchnis. They teach us it's not the what, it's the how. And they teach us how. They teach us the right perspective. So basically, what does it come down to? You want to save the world? You want to cure all the ills of society? Then what do we have to do? It's very clear what we have to do. We have to teach everybody chesidus. No? We have to teach Pneumia Satayra in order that we can finally resolve this, this conflict and show that it's no conflict at all, that it's this beautiful paradox that the Abishta has a taiva for. And that part of the Abishta's taiva is not just that it should happen in this physical world, but it should be brought about by actions from this physical world. So it's not about Malachim who wanted to, to be Makabal Taira and the Abishta told him that the Abishta told Meshur Rabbeinu, you go argue with the Malachim. And, 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 the, and then Meshur Rabbeinu told him, do you guys even have a Yetzahara? Which should have been an argument 
Fakert, there should have been an argument for the sake of the Malachim. But to the contrary, the Abishta wants Neshamas and bodies with the Yitzhahara, with distractions and with problems. That's what the Abishta wants. He wants that, that, that harmonization, that reconcili the reconciliation. We've got to keep focused on that. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted at any other stuff. That's, that's always the problem. That's the core issue. That's always the problem, and that's always the solution. Whatever it is that's going on, how can I make sure that my Gashmias is in line, in harmony with my Ruchnias? I don't have to be afraid of Elam Hazah. I don't have to run away from Gashmias. I just have to make sure that all the Gashmias the Ebishter benches me with is being used for the proper reason. And the Ebishter should take bench us with plenty of Gashmias and with the right perspective to use it in all the right ways. Chaim. No, maybe somebody uh, started nigging. It's true. There is. Yeah, but I'm saying it, it, it's not that. Hashem's coming to finish. Coming to is important because otherwise, if you take the, the, the classic, the classic mechanic for God. Very nice. The emphasis is always on That's the challenge. Oh, my best friend. Come, come here. Don't knock me over because this chair is mine. The reason for the Simcha of Lag Boimer, in addition to Yim Simchasi Shorashbi, is that Yemei Asfira are Tsasa Velas for Tamil Rabbi Akiva, and that the Magaifa from which they were dying stopped Lag Boimer. So uh, the famous question is Rabbi Akiva. How is it Shaykh that Rabbi Akiva, as great as he was, that he had Talmidim who 
were behaving in such a way that whatever they were doing was worthy of such a harsh consequence. The answer the Gemara gives for what they were doing doesn't make the question go away, it makes the question bigger. Because the answer, what, what were they doing that was so terrible? That they weren't honoring each other. <laughs> this makes the question bigger. Because Rabbi Akiva, not only was Rabbi Akiva like Moshe Rabbeinu B'dayrei, Rabbi Akiva was the one, what was his teaching? That So Rabbi Akiva's whole approach to Torah was, what's Torah? Aves Yisrael. And then from his Talmidim should be that they had such a problem with the lack of Aves Yisrael, such a problem with the lack of Aves Yisrael, that it came to such a disaster. Unless you want to answer that maybe they were stam, you know, they were they were just guys who were fans of Rabbi Akiva. They didn't really get it. They never really got his Torah. They just liked to hang around Rabbi Akiva. They called themselves Rabbi Akiva followers. The Gemara calls them Talmidei Rabbi Akiva. They were Talmidim. They were Talmidim. So how do we explain the Talmidim from a Rebbe who taught Avas Yisrael end up seemingly not having Avas Yisrael. So the answer is like this. Like, no COVID Zebazeh has nothing to do with the lack of Avas Yisrael. It's not a lack of Ava. That's a misdiagnosis. You look at, oh, you know what the problem, they just need more love. <laughs> right? All we need is love. Right? Do you know how much society is still suffering from some of the ideas that were pushed in the 60s and taken as normal? I'm talking about the, the, the permissiveness and the, 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 the breaking of, of, of norms and this idea all you need is love. Love is beautiful, but all you need is love. First of all, anytime anybody says all you need is blank, you already should have, you know, you get nervous. By the way, um, you should never believe a categorical statement. That was an intellectual joke. I'm sorry, I shouldn't make it. That it was ironic. You should never believe a categorical statement is a categorical statement. At any rate, okay, is that, was, was that hilarious? All right. It makes me laugh. Okay. So, they didn't have a lack of love. It wasn't a lack of love. They loved each other so much they couldn't let each other live. What do you call somebody? What's the technical term for somebody who loves people so much that they can't let them live? Mother. Jewish mother, that's right. That's the technical term for it. By the way, there's, you, there's such a thing called Gentile jokes. These are jokes that Jewish people tell about Gentiles. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you a joke about a Gentile, okay? I know I'm on video, it's okay, don't worry. A Gentile uh, calls his mother and says, Hi, Ma, I know we were going to get together tonight for dinner, but something came up and I can't make it. And the Gentile's mother says, Okay. <laughs> you get it? What? She just said, Okay. <laughs> so those were crazy Gentiles. <laughs> 
Imagine the Jewish son calls the Jewish mother. Come on. <laughs> Some people call it a codependent. That's more of a technical term. But I realize that Jewish mother and codependent are really synonymous. All the Jewish mother jokes and all the codependent jokes, you can really, I doubled my comedic re repertoire in one moment when I realized you could substitute them for each other. Like, there's a Jewish mother joke. How many Jewish mothers does it take to change a light bulb? Don't worry about me, I'll sit in the dark. Okay, that, you can do that as a codependent joke also. Or a codependent joke, what is the last thing that a codependent sees before he dies? Somebody else's life flashes before his eyes. So you can do that as a, as a Jewish mother joke. And ain't let over So at any rate, um, there's something called an addict, and there's something called a codependent. But maybe a better way of describing it, codependent, is someone who's addicted to an addict. And what's worse, an addict or someone addicted to an addict? An addict has a certain limit of how long his excuses will work on other people and even how long it'll work on himself. Because eventually, he has to realize that what he's doing isn't good. He runs out of excuses. And he hits bottom. When you're addicted to an addict, which means you put your life on hold to solve somebody else's problems, you will never run out of excuses for why you need to continue doing that, because it's the most noble thing in the world. In fact, you would feel terrible not to do it. I don't have a right to do it. How can I have my own life while somebody I love is suffering and making bad choices? No, I will not live a life. I will not be happy. I will not be sane until some, this person that I love is making better choices. And you can't talk them out of it. You can't explain to them the insanity of it. That don't you realize that you're just as irrationally addicted to fixing this person's life as they're irrationally addicted to their, their drug of choice? No, they don't realize that because they have the best excuse in the world. What they're doing is holy and noble and right and kind and righteous. That's why the codependents never hit rock bottom. I shouldn't say never, but I told you before, never, never, never believe a categorical statement. But very rarely, I get calls all the time from people. They're like, I need you to get my, whatever, my, 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 my son, my husband, my wife, my daughter, my sister, my brother, to stop. Well, first of all, I can't get anybody to stop. But second of all, they're not even calling me. You're calling me. And I, know I always ask them. Let, 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 let me ask you a question. Let's say that your loved one is going to continue behaving the way they're behaving, out of control. If there were a way that you could achieve serenity and sanity and get your life back, even if that other person never changes, would you be interested in hearing about that? Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I, didn't, I never took a scientific poll. This is, these numbers are just anecdotal, meaning my personal experience. But what percentage of people do you think answer yes, and what percentage of people do you think answer no to that question? You remember the question? No. 90% say no. That's right. 90% say no. I have no desire for that. I want you to fix this person. That's the only thing I, I want you to fix them. 
Yeah, but what if you could get some sanity back? What if you, you could get off the roller coaster? Your life is a roller coaster. It's madness. What if you could get off the roller coaster even if your loved one is not going to start making better choices? No. No, not interested. And in fact, they get really indignant about it. They, like, they're offended by the suggestion. What? Because they feel they're in charge. Well, f of course they feel they're in charge. They feel they're in control. That's the illusion of control, is that I can fix other people's problems. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a playing God. You know, I heard from somebody once, it actually was a mother of a, of a kid who was out on the streets for many years. And she said, I had to realize God has no grandchildren. That I think because I'm Hashem's child, and I have a child, so my child is the child of Hashem, so therefore my child is Hashem's grandchild. No, that's not how it works. Every one of us has a direct connection to Hashem. Sometimes you've got to just make space and let that person have their connection. You can't be the intermediary, you know, to try to be their connection. You've got to give them that room. So, what does it mean? Rabbi Kiva had Talmidim who couldn't let each other live. Rabbi Kiva taught You know what else Rabbi Kiva taught? If I had to say two main themes of Rabbi Kiva's life and his teachings and what he stood for and what he lived, I'd say that, and another main theme, Mesiras Nefesh. Right? Rabbi Kiva was always saying, Kol I was always pained. When am I going to have the opportunity? And then Taki had the opportunity, and he was Meisher Nefesh, and his Neshama came out as he said, Shema Yisrael. He was Taki, he was Meisher Nefesh, he died Al-Kiddush Hashem. So combine these two things, Avas Yisrael and Mesiris Nefesh. Now in Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva, to say that Rabbi Akiva was holy is an understatement. You understand who Rabbi Akiva was? The Asura Ruge Malchus were substitutes for the brothers who kidnapped Jesus. That's what the, 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 the Caesar said to them. That you're standing in for, for Yosef's brothers. How many brothers were involved in selling Yosef? So Yosef was one of the twelve. That's one, eleven. Binyamin wasn't there. That's ten. Reuven went away. That's nine. Remember, they were short. Who did they use for their center? The Omitzar of the Ebeshter Alein, Kaddish Baruch Hu Alein, was the tenth. So why did ten martyrs, Asara Horugim Alchus, who was the stand-in for Kaddish Baruch Hu Alein, was the Rabbi Akiva. So we're talking Rabbi Akiva, and Rabbi Akiva's level, Mesiris Nefesh and Aves Yisrael, was healthy. Unfortunately, in his Talmidim, not that they didn't learn his lesson, they did learn it and they couldn't handle it. And they combined love and martyrdom, and they became love martyrs. A love martyr means, I love you so much that I will die trying to fix your life for you. I will not stop. I will fix your life or I will die trying.
And it's, it's, it's not an exaggeration. Die trying. It is, it is, it is a, it's a terminal condition which causes insanity and, 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 and loss of health and eventually robs a person of their life. There's a joke I heard from the, you know, the recovery world about the addict and the alcoholic and the codependent. And they were on an island somewhere of savages and they were sentenced to death. And the way that they killed them over there was a guillotine, you know, like French Revolution style. So the first one up was the attic. They put his head on the chopping block and the executioner lets go of the rope and this big heavy blade comes whizzing down the track and it jams just a millimeter above the attic's head. It jams in the track. And the blade is just hanging there over his head. doesn't cut him. So the king says, this is the law of our land. We consider this an act of God. You are free to go. Live and be well. Next. So the alcoholic gets up. He puts his head down in the guillotine. The executioner lets go of the rope. And this big heavy blade comes whizzing down the track. And it jams. It jams again in the same spot. A millimeter above the alcoholic's neck. And the king says, "We consider this is the law of our land. We consider this an act of God. You are free to go live and be well. Next. The next one up is the codependent. Codependent gets up on the platform, looks at the guillotine, taps the executioner on the shoulder and says, you know, I think I know how to fix that. <laughs> Those are famous last words, right? I know what your problem is. I've been thinking a lot about you, and I know what your problem is. So, Avas Yisrael, Ad Mesiras Nefesh, when it gets out of hand, when it doesn't have an anchor, when it's not the Mesiras Nefesh of Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva was, you know, from the Dalad Nichnes Alapardis, right, the Bryson Chagiga. It says, Davka Rabbi Akiva was Yatsa B'Shalom. Why? Because he understood that it's not for the sake of, the, we were talking about the earlier, we, we, before, the beginning of the Fabrengen, it's not about Eilu Vaseliyenim, it's not about Giloyim, it's not about spiritual high, it's about Dira B'tachtenim. So Rabbi Akiva knew that, he knew how to do it right, and he could always bring it back down to the Shuv, to the, to the return. But the other Talmidim, or the Talmidim, they, 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 they couldn't handle it, and what they became were people who, okay, let me, let me explain where the dysfunction is. The Gemara says, "Ain de'esem shall be adam Just like no two human beings have the same face, no two people have the same mind. That's a reality. Even identical twins do not have exactly the same face. There are billions of people on planet Earth. There are no two people with the exact same face. It's amazing if you think about how many combinations of features there are to, to allow for that. But there aren't no two people with the same face. So Chazal say same thing with minds. They're just like no two people look exactly the same. No pe two people have the exact same mind. So how many different ways of being a Talmud of Rabbi Akiva were there? As many Talmudim as there were. Because each one has his own mind. So each one has his own way. And of course, each one thinks his way is the best way. Let me ask you a question. Is there any problem with that? 
No, there's no problem with that. That's not the problem. The problem isn't when I know my way is right. Not only is it not a problem to say, I know my way is right, it's not even a problem to say, I know my way is right, not just for me, but it's right for you. I know what you have to do. That's still not a problem. When does it become a problem? I know what's right for you, and I'm going to make sure that that's what you do. That's when it becomes a problem. It's not a problem to say, you know what, you're making a bunch of bad choices, and I know what the right choices are, and if you wanted my advice, I can tell you how to turn your life around. There's no problem with that. The problem is when it's unsolicited, and the person doesn't want to hear it, and you're going to force it on them. There's another, and this is a sikha from Chelek Chav Beis, and the Sikhas, but there's another sikha, sikha uh, from Chelek uh, Yod, Parshish uh, Vigash, talks about Yesuf and Yaman. Why did they cry on each other's necks? And neck is the, is the Beis Amikdash. And basically, the question is Was Veitman of Yenim's Chorben? Like, if you have your own Chorben, so cry for that. So, that explains there that tears are when you can't, crying has no Tayalis, crying is not productive. So why, why ever cry? We cry dafka when there's nothing productive to be done. So for your own problem, right, the Medrash says on the Pasuk uh, that he said it in the Kumi. Right, so it's a Pasuk, it's in, in, in Shio, but it's also in the Lechadedi. The Medrash says, it's a marshal, the marshal, you know, he said it, shake yourself. Me'ofer, uh, shake off the dust. So the, the, the Medrash says on Moshe about a rooster that falls in the ashes. It says a thousand people with a thousand combs can never make him clean again. But if he gives himself one good shake, then immediately he becomes clean. So in the Sikha over there, it talks about Yosef and Binyamin. So Yosef's crying on the Chorban Beis HaMikdosh, and Binyamin's crying on the Chorban of Mishkan Shiloi. Of Yenem's Chorban, and the Chorban that happens in the other one's uh, land. Because for your own Chorban, don't cry, fix it. But for the other guy's Chorban, you can't fix it, so you cry. You can't fix it, so you cry. You say, You give tzedakah. You bring their name to the oil. But you, you can't fix it. So there's no problem saying, I know the right way. Not only do I know the right way for me, I know the right way for you. That's fine. The problem is, and now I'm going to force you to live the right way. You shouldn't do it, and the truth is you can't do it. You're not going to be successful doing it. Do or, well, but, but if you're a codependent, you're going to die trying. What do you do in a case where the person is a danger to himself and or That's others? what we're talking about. That's, that's the big problem. You, if a person is a danger to themselves, I mean, you can intervene so they can't immediately hurt themselves. You can uh, interrupt an immediate danger, but you can't change their lifestyle. I mean, you can get them safe for a day, for a week, for however long. You know, I've told people before, you know, you're going to send the guy to rehab, you're going to spend $40,000, he doesn't want to go, he's going to relapse the day he gets out, but he probably won't die in rehab, he'll probably die on the street. So, if, you know, if you want to buy four weeks of him not dying, that's what you're buying. But don't think you're buying him recovering because he's not going to because he doesn't want to yet. But there's this obsession. I know what's right for you, and, and, and I'm going to make sure that you do it. You know, in, in, in the days before the revolution in Russia, when the revolution was cooking up, 
they used to send, uh, the Bolsheviks used to send intellectuals, like guys who were like talkers, and they would go give sermons about, uh, about communism. And they would try to you know, indoctrinate the masses about the, the tenets of, of communism. So one time, uh, this is by the way a whole genre of Jewish jokes about the communist indoctrinator who comes to a small town and then a little old Jewish man in the back of the crowd makes trouble. So there's a series of these jokes, but I'm only, I'm only going to tell you one of them, the one that's germane to the point. So the communist indoctrinator comes to the town and he's talking all big about the revolution, the revolution, and after the revolution everything's going to be beautiful and the, the revolution. So this old Jewish guy, he raises his hand and says, he says, Comrade, I just want to ask one question. Will there be strawberries and cream after the revolution? And the indoctrinator says, yes, of course. Everyone's going to eat strawberries and cream after the revolution. And the Yidl says, and what if I don't like strawberries and cream? <laughs> and the indoctrinator says, after the revolution, you better like strawberries and cream. <laughs> is I know what's right for you and, 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 and I'm going to die forcing it on you and that's what happened, they did and they did, and they died for some they have a magefa for others it happens in uh, more natural uh, Ways, but it always ends in uh, it doesn't it doesn't end pretty. You know what the Kotzker said is Ich bin ich, weil du bist du und du bist du, weil ich bin ich. Ich bin nicht dich und du bist nicht du. Why isn't it enough that I know the right way to live? That should be enough for me. Why do I need to make sure that you live that way too? When, you know, Bechir HaChavshis is free choice. Free choice is my behaviors. The fact that Eivishter gave me free choice doesn't mean I get to choose your behaviors. I think we forget that sometimes. So, why isn't it enough? I know the right way for me to live. Maybe even I think that's the right way for everyone to live. But the only person who I can actually choose that way of life for is myself. Why is that not enough? Ich bin ich, weil ich bin ich. This is the way I live. No, it's not enough because I need to get you to do it too. In other words, I don't have a life. I don't have a life. My life's on hold because you're not living the way I know that you ought to live. So I'm not me. Also, as much as I'm martyring myself for your sake, you're not really you. I'm not relating to you. I'm using you. Because I'm trying to control you. So I don't even know you while I'm martyring myself to fix your life. Would it have been different had they had psychologists at the time from Akiva? What do you say? Would it have been different? If they would have psychologists at the time? Yeah. Would it be different? No. Why? Why would psychology help it? Because they would have recognized that they're errored and that uh, they they were being. Uh, you think so? No, I'm asking. You no, I don't think so. Is professional. Who's the biggest codependent? Is the psychologist? 
<laughs> who's the biggest codependent? Who's the one who fixes everybody? That's my identity, is I fix everybody. This is not psychology, my friend. I heard that they were <laughs> golden from Sodom. The Tamil and Rabbi Akiva, they didn't get covered for each other. Yeah. Okay, so Gilgulim, man, that's uh, it's different levels. But in 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 Aveda, in the Hera that we can take from it, this is a lesson definitely in how not to relate to other people. Now, there has to be a positive model. There has to be a, a right way of doing it. So we know the wrong way. <laughs> What's the right way? Yes. After 24,000 Talmudim died, Rabbi Akiva started over again. And he had a new group of Talmudim. And there were five main Talmudim. And from the five, the top one, in fact, he said to this Talmud that it's enough that Hashem and I know your greatness because nobody else relates to, to your greatness. And who was that Talmud? It was Rabbi Shimon ben Yechai. Imagine that. Rabbi Shimon ben Yechai was the one who took Avas Yisrael and Mesiris Nefesh and did it right. He was able to do it right. When he came out of the Maida, not the first time, the second time, and he said to his son, Bni, dai lo So Rabbi Shimon was Tedosim and Nosei. He spent 13 years in the Maida learning Kola Tedah. But he didn't expect that from everybody else. He knew that's the right way to live. But he didn't expect it from everybody else. And he told his son, It's okay. We can be this way. We don't have to make everybody else be this way. Live and let live. And then what did he do? Okay, so that's, that's the Sumero. There's also Asay Toif. Sumero is the easier part. Like the first thing in not being a codependent is to learn the trick. Don't just do something, sit there. Ever heard that before? Don't just do something, sit there. Because <laughs> the, the instincts, you know, the fight or flight is always, don't just sit there, do something, right? Oh, we got to go do something. We got to go save so-and-so from himself. No, relax. You don't have to respond. You don't have to react. The Abish is running the world. The Abish has got it. Hey, if it's something you have to choose for yourself at this moment, a behavior that you have to choose, okay, so don't just sit there, do something. If you have to, if you have to choose a behavior for yourself, okay, so do. But somebody else's behavior, he's not doing what he's supposed to do, or he's doing what he's not supposed to do. <laughs> like I told you, Bechir Chavshis is free choice to choose your own maizim. You don't choose other people's maizim. So the first thing is, don't just do something, sit there. That's the sumera. Just leave people alone. It's okay. Leave people alone. Okay. But now there has to be a say type. There has to be a right way of doing it. What's the right way of doing it? Caringness, maybe? Hmm? Like caring, maybe? Well, caring's an emotion, but 
what we want to translate into Misa Beplet. So look in the story. The whole, the whole story, the whole Misa of Rabbi Shimon spells it out for us. What, this is, you know, the Alter Rebbe says that Rav Saideh Satayra Agnuzim in the Agarata of Gemara. That these are not just stories. These are Saideh Satayra. So what's the next thing that happens? So Rabbi Shimon tells his son, it's okay. But then he says, since a miracle happened for me, and he learned it from Yankiv Avinu, he learned a lesson from Yankiv Avinu, he says, since a miracle happened to me, I want to show my gratitude to Hashem. Azil, I'm going to go. What does he say? Askin Milsa. Let me go fix something. There's a big diuk there. Let me go fix something. He didn't say, let me go fix somebody. He said, let me go fix something. Big difference. Let's talk about it like this. You get up in the morning and you daven chakras. And you finish davening, and you take off your tefillin. Will you touch your tefillin again until tomorrow? No. Well, the truth is, mitzad arvus, if there are Jews anywhere in your immediate vicinity who are not putting on tefillin, you have a chiyuv to touch your tefillin again until shkia. It's your problem that there are Jews who either don't know what tefillin are, or know what it is but don't think about it daily, or think about it but aren't motivated to actually go through with it and, and put it on. You have to take care of that. That's a problem. You have to fix that situation. But you don't fix the person. You don't fix the person. First of all, people don't need your fixing. People are perfect the way they are. The situation is, a, is an unfortunate situation. If you know about there are Jewish children in your neighborhood or not getting a kosher chinuch, that's a problem. So no be part of the solution. If you know, uh, I'll give you something that's maybe a little bit less uh, challenging. Although, I really encourage everybody, bring your tefillin to work, bring your tefillin to the grocery store. Shem zechnisht, you know, put tefillin on with people. But, but I'll, I'll, give you another, I'll give you another assignment. In addition, you know there are singles in your neighborhood who have to go find a Shabbos invitation every single week and who are struggling with profound loneliness every single Shabbos. You know that that exists within... <laughs> I mean... Every so if you know the situation exists, be part of the solution. <laughs> or, you know, if you're embarrassed to talk to anyone outside of your own house, okay, so... Even your own kids, your own bias. You know that there's a 
Lamarshall, just to make up an example, that there's a 13-year-old boy who comes home from yeshiva and he doesn't have somebody to sit there and learn with him. Maybe that's your own son, and the reason he doesn't have anyone to sit and learn with him is because you're not doing it. Okay, that's a problem. So be part of the solution. But you're not fixing people. You're not fixing the person. You're fixing the situation. So it's not like Rabbi Shimon heard about the situation. He said, oh, you mean there's a, there's a case of Suffolk Tomer and this Kehanim. Okay, I know what we have to do. We have to put up a sign to tell Kehanim, you should be careful that there's Suffolk Tomer here. Right? He didn't fix people. He fixed a situation. When you help a Yid, and the greatest thing you can do for Hashem, for your father, is to be Makar of one of his children. When you help a Yid to do a mitzvah, you're not fixing the Yid. First of all, Neshama is perfect, and Neshama doesn't need fixing. So you're not fixing him. But the neshama is in an unfortunate situation. He's in a situation where he doesn't know about his inheritance, or he doesn't, or he knows about it, but he doesn't think about it. Or I don't know if you've ever met such people. They know about their inheritance. They even think about it. I'm talking about their spiritual inheritance, Shakilas Yankiv, the Torah. But they had negative experiences while they were being exposed to it, and so they have a conflicted relationship with the Yiddishkeit. And it's hard for them to do what they need to do. And if you have the schus to be part of fixing that situation, not the person, but the situation, by what? How do you fix a situation and not a person? How do you make sure that it's... Because is this just a word game? It's just semantics? Oh, I'm calling it fixing a situation. and I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm not telling you I know what's good for you. I'm just making opportunities available. Excuse me, sir, did you put on fill-in? Here they are. So if you hadn't thought about fill-in, I'm reminding you of it. Maybe you thought about it, but you weren't motivated to actually put them on. I'm putting them in front of your face. They're here. If you don't know how to put them on, I'll put them on you. My job is to improve the situation. That means by combating apathy, combating ignorance, by overcoming any of the... anything that prevents Yidin from doing what they really need to do. So I'm combating the situation. If there's a misunderstding about Yiddishkeit, so I can try to change the perception. And if I'm a person who's good at explaining things, I can try to change the way people perceive something. That's called fixing a situation. But I don't go to a person and say, here's what you have to do. And I don't, for a minute, think that they owe me anything. <coughs> Side, they don't owe me anything to listen to me when I tell them. So I don't tell. Don't, you don't tell people what to do. Side, they don't owe me to listen to me. Side, they don't owe me a thanks if they did listen to me and it worked out. They don't owe you a thanks. You owe them a thanks. Megalgal and Zakai. 
So this guy came closer to Hashem, and you had the schos to create a situation that made it easier for him to do that. You should thank him for the opportunity. One of the healthiest things that I ever saw, healthiest interactions, human interactions that I ever perceived in my entire life. I was speaking at a Chabad house, you know, in Arya Sade, like not a, not a from area at all. I would say, well, it was obvious to me after the, so it was a Shabbaton type situation, and then there was a talk at the Kiddush, and then I finished the talk, and then people started leaving, and then it was obvious to me who was Shemesh Shabbos and who wasn't, because most people were running because they had stuff to do, unfortunately. And then there was like a small group of maybe three or four Balabatim who were lingering. And they, they clearly had nowhere to go. And not because they didn't have busy lives, but because they were, you could tell, they, were, they had started to keep Shabbos. These were the Chavah who walked back to the rabbi's house and hung out there all afternoon. So, um, doesn't matter where it was. Point is, one, you know, some suburban town in, in, in middle America. And uh, so the, the Elam had left, people were trickling out, you know, the, it was getting smaller. There was a few Hever left, and one guy turns to the, the Shliach, and I didn't hear the whole conversation leading up to it, but I heard this one line. He says to him, I want to thank you for changing my life. And the Shliach looked like he'd been slapped. He was like... <laughs> and... I could tell he looked uncomfortable. And I was waiting to hear, you know, if he was gonna explain. He like looked uncomfortable. And he says, No, 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 no. I didn't change your life. You changed your life. But thank you for letting me be there as part of your support while you were changing your life. I was so blown away by that. That was so healthy. Because that's exactly what it is that the Shliach is supposed to do. He's sent there to make it as easy as possible and as pleasant as possible and as convenient as possible for every year to do as many mitzvahs as possible. But whether or not the Yid is going to choose, that's only the Yid's own choice and his own credit. It's only his credit and it's only his choice. So we don't fix people. Even when we know what's right for people. Even I know what you should do. It doesn't matter. Great, I know. We fix situations. Situation is that most Jews in America don't put on tefillin every day. That's a problem, a problematic situation. So that's a situation you, want, you might want to be part of improving. Like I said before, if you're not ready to, uh, you know, bring your tefillin to, to Manhattan and you know put on tefillin with the with the, with the lawyer who's, uh, you know, you're meeting with in the in the boardroom in Manhattan. Okay, I understand that it might be a little bit. So, look around the neighborhood, and unfortunately, pl plenty of ex yeshiva boys who don't put on tefillin. You could help them. The point is, the Abishter will present the situations to you. The Abishter knows how to run the world. Hashem has skills. Hashkachopratis will bring you opportunities to fix situations. But when you fix a situation, do it humbly, 
Do it respectfully. Another thing to remember. If you help somebody do a mitzvah, they don't owe you any follow-up. They don't owe you to become from. There was a few years ago, I remember it was going around, Hevra were talking about that some actress from Hollywood that I never heard of, obviously, was on some talk show that I also never heard of, but people were talking about it because by the shluchim, their balabatim were very nespoil, that she was on a talk show and she spoke about tefillin. I don't think she said the word tefillin, but I think the word she used, and everyone was talking about it, was she must have talked, she must have said tefillin, because the whole thing is, she said, my 15-year-old son came home from the mall, and he had a drive-by bar mitzvah. So, I remember the shluchim were talking a few years ago, whether or not that was like, is that bechovedik, a drive-by bar mitzvah, and it kind of sounds cheap. Um, what did she say? The way it was described to me is she said, my 15-year-old son came home from the mall, and he said, Ma, I just had my drive-by bar mitzvah. And, and I said, what does that mean? She said, some guy came over to me with a beard and a hat, and he said, did you ever put on tefillin? I didn't know what it was, and he wrapped the black boxes on me, and he said, Has you, have you ever done this before? No, I never did it. Ah, then today is your bar mitzvah. So, Hever were talking about whether or not this was like something we want to, you know, promote. Because it was in, you know, people were talking about it. It was something that was, you know, people were conscious of. And uh, some of us, whatever, somebody asked me. I said, actually, I, I wouldn't come up with the phrase drive by mitzvah. But now that you say it, I really like, I, I like it, actually. Because, <laughs> what do I like about it? You know, it's like when a website wants your email address... And then they spam you, and you're like, you're just using me. You just want to mark, you're just using my, my email to market to me, right? So, a drive-by mitzvah means I'm going to get in there. Okay, basically, there's a problem. The problem is there's a bunch of Jewish men who haven't put on tefillin today. I'm going to go down to the mall with my tefillin. I'm going to try to put a dent in that problem. How much of a dent can I make? You know, I don't know. How many guys I can get? Five guys, ten guys? However many I get, okay? What's my relationship to those people? Nothing. I don't have to have a relationship to them. I'm not fixing them. I'm dealing with a situation. So it's a drive-by bar mitzvah. You don't have to follow up with me. You don't, have, you don't owe me any report. You don't have to tell me if it changed your life or not. I didn't do it to change your life. I didn't do it to make you from. Maybe it will. Maybe you'll do tshuva. That's between you and Hashem. The Abishter is ma'ir neshamas. Maybe you will do tshuva. But that's not why I did it. I did it because it's a problem. The problem is that there's something called arvis, and I'm you have to put on tefillin 600,000 times a day, or however many Eden exist. 600,000 neshamas b'chlal and different offshoots. But I'm mechoyev have to put on tefillin every day. As many times, it's my chiyav, mitzat arvis, to put on tefillin as many times as there are Jewish arms belonging to men above age 13. So I'm putting a dent in the problem by going down there. I'm not following up with you. I don't know if you're going to put on tefillin tomorrow. I don't know if you're going to become from. That's irrelevant to me. You ever heard of the approach of outreach? 
where they do triage and they figure out who has the best likelihood to become from. That's an attempt to fix people. I'm going to figure out who is the best use of my time and efforts, right? Because I, I want to be able to affect somebody. I want to be able to change them. So I'm going to figure out who's the best clee who's most likely to be, you know, influenced by me. And I'm going to go for that guy. That's called trying to change people. And that is controlling. And it is manipulative. And it is dishonoring. It's disrespectful. Rather, what do we do? We say, you're perfect the way you are. You're a neshama. A neshama, you're beautiful. But there's a problem. The problem is, you're a neshama, and the goof where it is right now, didn't put on tefillin. I have the tefillin. Let me fix this solution. If I see you again tomorrow, I'll offer you again tefillin again tomorrow. If I see somebody else, I'll offer him tefillin. You know, I saw a bumper sticker once that said, Oh God, protect me from your followers. <laughs> Religious people can be very dangerous. <laughs> right? Because when you have God to co-sign your agenda, now you can do anything. It's not me. No. Who says? No. I, that's not. It's not me. God says. Okay. Let Hashem be Hashem. We're not Hashem. We do Hashem's work, not His job. Hashem does His job, which is to run the world and to take care of His children. We do His work, which is ma'isim tovim, acts of goodness and kindness, try to make the world a better place. But we don't control people. People don't belong to us. Even our own children don't belong to us. We're shepherds. We're stewards. Even our own children don't belong to us. Your child does not owe you any nachas. And you shouldn't make yourself crazy trying to figure out what buttons you have to push in him to get the nachas. That's not how it works. That's not your relationship with your child. You have a mitzvah, you have a chiyuv, a chayiv kodesh, a vishinantim levanacha. You have to be mechanech, your kid. That's it. Your kid doesn't have a chiyuv to listen to you. You don't even have a chiyuv to get him to listen to you. You have a chiyuv to present him with a full chinuch. You don't fix people, you fix situations. You make sure that everyone has the best shot. That everyone has the best opportunity. That if somebody wants to do the right thing, and deep down all neshamas want to do the right thing, that the opportunity should be easy and convenient. And if you're part of that, that's a big schus. What could be a greater, a greater schus than to, to help neshamas have uh, an easier time doing what they got to do. But we do it for the situation. And ultimately, what's the end game? That we're going to fix this, we're going to really fix the situation. 
the ultimate problematic situation. We were speaking about it earlier. Don't get distracted. Remember I said don't get distracted by all the ills of society. Those are symptoms. The core, the core is, I mean, if you want to use Rabbi Shimon's words, shkintabagolosa. That's the real core problem. That's a situation that needs to be fixed. We got to fix that situation. We don't fix people, we fix situations. The situation that's, that needs to be fixed, the most, the core problematic issue, ongoing problematic issue, is Shechinta Begolosa. The Ebeshter, Kaviyachal, is in Golos with, with, with Yidin. We have to fix that. How do we fix that? We have a roadmap for that. Putting on film with people, learning Siddhis with people. Not to fix them, but to fix the situation, to fix the world. And when we finally fix the situation, it's a pretty good feeling to know that you were part of the, the part of the solution. Because sooner or later it's going to be fixed. The question is, you know, did we play a part? Did we play a role? Anyways, we all know the right thing. We should just do it. Chaim. Chaim. Regarding the Zayar that Rabbi Shimon ben Yechai wrote, Elio Novi says in the Tukun Zayar that uh, he says to uh, Rabbi Shimon or of Rabbi Shimon that Chibur uh, Dilach, this Sefer of yours, that with this Sefer, uses an interesting term uses an interesting, a unique uh, term for a relationship to a Sefer Yisparnosun minei Loshen parnosa Sustenance What does it mean to get sustenance from a Sefer? Befrat a sefer of Penimia Satoira, which is Soide Satoira, is the, the highest Ruchnius, and we speak about it in terms of such Gashmius, Moshin Parnosa, like, uh, like money, like, uh, like bread, like food that you eat. So there was one time, there was a, you know, the people in Helm. People in Chelm were very foolish, 
but that wasn't the problem. There's no sin being foolish. They thought they were smart. And there's many stories about how smart they thought they were. But one of the stories is there was a Shamish in the Shul in Chalm, and he went to the big city of Varsha, to Warsaw. And he walks in the big shul, and the shamash of the big shul sees a Agastin Stott, and he asks him, from and he said, from Chelm, oh, he says, he's going to have some fun with this guy. So he says to him, I heard the people in Chelm are smart. Is that true? He says, oh, I don't want to brag, but yes, it's true. <laughs> okay, so here's the question. Can I ask you a riddle? Yes, ask me a riddle. Alright, the riddle is, I am my father's son, but I am not my brother. Who am I? So the Shamash of Chalm thinks, 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 wow, that is deep. You're your father's son, but you're not your brother. You said you're not your brother, but you're your father's son. Father's son, but not brother. Not your brother, but you're not your brother. Ah, you know what? I must be tired from the trip. I don't know. What's the answer? So the Shamash from Warsaw says, he laughs and he says, come on. I'm my father's son, but I'm not my brother. I'm me. I am myself. Ah, the Shamash of Chalm says the Shamash of Warsaw. That is a good one. And he runs back to Chalm. And he runs into the shul. And he finds, finds the wise men of Chalm sitting on Mizrachvant. And he says to them, I have a riddle from the big city of Warsaw. They say, let us hear it. He says, the riddle is like this. I am my father's son, but I'm not my brother. Who am I? So the wise men from Chalm, they say, oh, wow, that's deep. Well, father's son, not your brother. You're not your brother. You're sure you're not your brother, huh? But you're your father's son. And yet you're not your brother, but you're your father's son. We don't know. We can't figure it out. Shamash Chalm says, you really, you don't know? No, we don't know. He says, come on, I'm the Shamash from Warsaw. <laughs> okay, they say... Analyzing a joke is like dissecting the frog. You understand the frog better, but it's dead. So I'm going to kill the joke by dissecting it. And I'm going to ask you, what's the joke here? Why is it funny? Don't just say, because the Shamash Acham was dumb. What was dumb about it? What did he do wrong? What's he supposed to say? He doesn't know who he is. That's that's too deep for me. On a simple level, if I told you that same riddle, and you had to go tell it to someone else, you go home and you tell your wife that riddle. How how do you say the punchline? I'm me. So why didn't he say it that way? Because he heard the shamish of Warsaw say, I'm me. Oh, okay, you're you. So when he repeated and he wanted to say it right, he said, he understood the punchline to the joke is the Shamash of Warsaw. You think that's so far-fetched? You're making it way too deep. It's very simple. It's very, very simple. You get up and you talk to a bunch of people, let's say a group of Jews, about a concept, about an Indian in Torah. Torah Meloshin Heirah. And obviously the reason you're talking about it is because 
It's pertinent, it's relevant, I'm talking to you, I'm talking about you. And in the end, I'm saying even if they hear it, what do they come away with? Want to hear a good vort? Want to hear a good vort? That's what they come away with. That's why also, by the way, they say that a baldarshan can never have Yirasharaim. Because anytime he hears something that would affect him, he says, Oh, that's a good one, I have to remember it. <coughs> Including that. It's not a vort, it's not a quote, it's not something I heard, I'm gonna to repeat to you. Taita is compared to Mazain, right? David Amalek says, Perik Hay of Tanya talks about this that mitzvahs are like levushim for the neshama, and that Taita is like mazain for the neshama. Why is it compared to mazain? Because it becomes part of your flesh and blood. What does it mean that Taita becomes part of your flesh and blood? I was at a, a Shabbaton and uh, whatever, they had a really funny, uh, it was very difficult to keep up with the schedule because they had me speaking in, in all sorts of different times in, 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 during davening and the meal and so whatever, I had to, I had to figure, whatever, okay, the, 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 the bottom line of the story is that I was finishing davening Shachris and the Eilam from the Shabbaton came in to daven Mincha. So I was finished, with, I was finishing, I was, well, basically I was finished. Okay, so I'm standing in the back with a talus on and they're davening Mincha. Okay, so I stood in the back with my talus and I daven. You know, look, I was the only guy with a talus because it's Mincha. And then they gave me an aliyah. Now I have to go up and, you know, it looks kind of funny, the only guy wearing a talus. So I took off the talus and I walk up to uh, the Sefer Torah, but now I'm, I'm, I'm not wearing a hat. I didn't have my hat there. I didn't even have it in the, in the, in the shul. It was like a conference room where the shul was. My hat was in my room, in my hotel room. So I'm looking around and this oilam there, this was like 90% satmer. And so uh, they didn't have hats like this. Of Shabbos took me a streimel, yeah. So uh, somebody gave me a streimel. So I put on the streimel. And uh, <laughs> actually, I put on the streimel for the uh, for the aliyah. And then somebody says to me, "You better hope this doesn't go viral." <laughs> and I said, "That's why I did it on Shabbos." <laughs> he says, "You never know." <laughs> so, okay, so I'm telling you a story. I wore Shtraimel on Shabbos. Not this Shabbos, a while ago. Now imagine if I would come home from the Shabbaton and I would say to my wife, Do you know what I did on Shabbos? Take a look at me and tell me what I did. She could never tell me in a million years by looking at me that I had worn a Shtraimel. Why? Because that's how Levushim work. I did a mitzvah a minute ago. 
Ha'isik be mitzvah patim in a mitzvah. And then you finish the mitzvah, you got to be Isaac again. So if I say to you, oh, do you know I was busy with a mitzvah a minute ago? Well, no, because that was a minute ago. That's why mitzvahs are like levushim. If you're doing the mitzvah, I see it. If you're wearing the clothes, I see the clothes on you. A minute later, I don't see it on you. You don't, you don't have it anymore. Now imagine if I come back from the same Shabbaton. I told you it was like 90% of Satmer. And I'll tell you one thing about the Hungarians is they, they, they know how to eat. I mean, it's like Russian chassidim do not know cuisine. They don't. They don't. They think they do. Like five different ways of making potatoes. It's the, the Hungarians know how to eat. It's a serious business. And, but so can you imagine if I would come back from this Shabbaton and I would say to my wife, by the way, I want to tell you something. I ate very, very well at this Shabbaton. And my wife would look at me and say, I know. Well, how would you know? What do you mean? <laughs> Zetmendach, right? That's the difference between clothing and food. Clothing is not nicker except when you're wearing it. Food, it's visible for a long time. Because mazin becomes your flesh and blood. It's the same thing with Torah. Torah is also a mitzvah. So if you learn Torah for five minutes, let's keep, let's keep it realistic, five minutes. You learn Torah for five minutes. So if during those five minutes you are Isaac in the mitzvah of Limerat Torah, that's a mitzvah. But, and that's the lavush of, of Torah. But then there's also the mazin of Torah. And the mazin of Torah is after those five minutes are over, the five minutes of Torah that you consumed, that you ate, you digested, you metabolized, during those five minutes, become part of your brain. And now it's not just what you know, it's how you look at everything else that you will ever come to know. If you chew your food and swallow it and metabolize it. The Indian of Yisparnusen mine that Teira, and not just Teira, but Pnimius Teira should be like a lotion that we use, like Zanma Farnes, that the Evishter gives Parnos, the Evishter gives food, he gives us food. The Indian is that when I hear a concept in Teira, I should never say, you want to hear a vort? You want to hear something cool that I heard? Because that's Tom, I'm the Shamash of Warsaw. If you chew it and you digest it and you, and, and you let it absorb into your flesh and blood and become who you are, now, I'm not telling you a vort. I'm telling you my reality. This is how I see life. This is my reality. That's what it means. That Rabbi Shimon wrote a sefer not to inspire you, not to uh, impress you, not to uh, tantalize you with these high levels, but to sustain you, like, like, like you eat a piece of food and it becomes part of your flesh and blood. It changes your brain, changes how you think. And if you can't open up a Zaire and do it directly from a Zaire, which I can't do it that way either, that's what Tatus of Shamtif is for. It allows us to ingest and digest and metabolize Pinimia Sotaira 
Yispanos and Minei, that it should become part of your flesh and blood. It's not just cool ideas that you can talk about. This is the way you see life. Became part of your brain, part of your thinking. That's what's unique about the Torah. As opposed to like, you know, in Chassidus Chabad especially, we don't talk a lot about mufsim, about miracles. Because miracles are transcendent. You don't understand how they work, and uh, they go over our head, literally. It's a makif. So it doesn't really change your way of thinking. It's impressive, but you know, it's... Right? Like they say, in Balnes, Makaris, Nisai. It's really impressive while it's happening, but after it's over, it doesn't change you. It doesn't change the way you think. But Taita, Taita gets in there, rewires your brain. It changes how you think. Panemius of Taita changes the way you view reality. So it changes your whole life. if you learn it the way that you're meant to learn it. These are not cool ideas. It's talking to you about you. You make it applicable. How do you make it applicable? The Alter Rebbe says, early in Tanya, Gimel, even someone who's a Chochem V'Novoin, right, he has a lot of Chochma and he has a lot of Bina. He learned a lot of chassidus. And he could explain the chassidus he learned. But if he's not going to focus on it with das, to focus, to cogitate intensely, then midas won't come from it. Because chokhman, bina, or tati, and mami, but odem yodes chave, that they should actually come together and be mailed children, which are midas, that's that's das. So what does that mean? That means you hear something that can change your life, but it doesn't. It didn't change your life yet. It can change your life. If you wanted to change your life, now you know what you got to do? You close the safer, go take a walk around the block, and say it back to yourself in your own words. Until you do that, you're not chewing and digesting your food, and it's not going to change you. You can be a great Judaica studies professor. You can quote a lot of chassidus. It won't change your life. By the way, where it, it, did Ben leave? Ben Telushkin was here. I'll tell you a story that his father told me. I don't think this is printed anywhere. So Ben's father told me um, that Herbert Weiner, or Weiner, who was it? Nine and a Half Mystics. Weiner. He was a reform rabbi, and then eventually, the, at the end of his career, he, he retired, he became from. Anyways, he wrote a book, a beautiful book, Nine and a Half Mystics. The chapter about the Rebbe is incredible. Um, when he was in Hebrew University in Jerusalem, he was in the Kabbalah class of Gershon Shalom. 
Now, I don't know if you know in Flatbush who is Gershon Sholem, but if you go on Amazon, you look for Kabbalah Svarim, <laughs> you're going to have 90% is going to be Gershon Sholem Vitalmidov. And basically, he was a German Jew, a real Yakir, from biblical criticism. And uh, well, there's no Kedusha Satayra. It was just. <clears throat> now, the guy was Baki Osbos and Zayat. Baki! But he didn't believe in it. It wasn't from. So anyways, he was giving his class in Kabbalah. And a chassid came into class. Who was it? You, you probably heard of Radatz. Chain, right? They called him Herschel Chernogov. And... Besaif Yamov, he went to Eretz Yisrael. Last few years of his life, I think it was Mamish only two, three years. He had been, I think he was, he goes all the way back to the times of the Tzemach Tzedek. I think, but when, in his older, older days, he, he moved to Eretz Yisrael, and this is in the, in the, in the, in the Chofs, I believe. Um, maybe even Yods. So, it's probably, in the, it's probably in the 50s. So, He had a son, Avram Yehudachain. Avram Yehudachain comes into the Kabbalah studies class taught by Professor Gershon Shalom at Hebrew University, and he starts doing what you would expect a chassid to do in Gershon Shalom's Kabbalah studies class. He starts making trouble. So he says, What's the difference between a chassid and a Kabbalah studies professor? He says, what's the difference between an accountant and a balabas? He says, the accountant, his whole day he's immersed in numbers. And every one of those numbers represents money, a dollar, a cent. And he knows exactly how much to the penny came in and went out. And he knows the whole day he's following those numbers. He knows exactly what money came in, what money went out. But at the end of the day, he closes his accounting books and he goes home and he doesn't have the money. It's not his money. Now the balabos, the guy who owns the company, who hired the accountant, he looks at the books once a week, once a month, whatever. He knows how much is coming in, how much is going. He doesn't know to the penny. He does not know all those numbers. But it's his money. He says, the Kabbalah professor, he knows every letter of Zayr. But he goes home in Nebuch. It's not his. It's not his treasure, unfortunately. Because he doesn't look at it that way. The Chassid, what does a Chassid know from Zayr? You know, you know, Kigavna. <laughs> Whatever is a Diramaschal of a Maimer. Yeah, you can get started a little bit. Oh, that's about it. You know, that's about as far as you can get. Zaya, you know. But it's my book. It belongs to me. That everything that's stated in that Sefer is Yisparnas in Mine. That's, that's what I live off of. That's how I look at life. That's my, my outlook at the world is Pnimia Satayra from the Zayar and the Bishimin, the Talmidov, and in each door. 
the daily Israel who brought Pinimus Atayda closer and closer into our minds and uh, allowed us to, to, to nourish ourselves and to, to embrace it and make it part of our, our worldview. That, 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 that's what it means. The Nebuchadnezzar Shimon wrote a lofty book of lofty ideas, but it's not supposed to have an effect on you like, like Nisim have an effect, where it's very impressive while it's happening, but after it's over, you're the same guy that you were before it happened. It's supposed to affect you the way that Torah affects you. That's why it's a chalik of Torah. Torah affects you that when you learn something, you cannot think the same way ever again. It's not what you know, it's how you look at everything else that you will ever know because of that thing that you now know. The Gemara even talks about it, about whether or not a Talmud Chochem can be mevater on the, on the cover of Torah. The Gemara in Kiddushin. So the Talmud Chochem might say, I can't, I can't be Moichel my cover because it's not me, it's not me, it's cover of Torah. So the Gemara says, no, you could be. You know why? Because it says, that uh, but it's it's a, it's a pasuk in the beginning of Tilim. B'teiras Hashem cheftzei ve'yega ba'yemam v'layla. In Teiras Hashem, he desires, and he meditates in it day and night. So the Gemara says like this: Teiras Hashem cheftzei calls man. He wants it. That cheftzei. He wants it. It's Teiras Hashem. It belongs to Hashem. But once he puts in the sweat equity and he toils in it and he meditates in it, Tayrasay, goes on the person. It becomes the person's taira. It's a kinyan of taira. So now he can be Michael the cover of taira because he was kind of the taira. What does it mean you're kind of the taira? Bifrat Pinimiasa Taira. When it changes the way you look at things. Don't tell me how much Panimiya Satayra you can quote. Tell me how much the ideas of Panimiya Satayra change the way that you look at things. And I will tell you that Panimiya Satayra changes the way that we look at everything. It changes the way we look at Hashem. It changes the way we look at and it changes the way we look at Yisrael, at Yidin, the big three. Everything else is nichlal in this. Yisrael changes the way we look at those things. There was a, there used to be a magazine called Hakriva Kedusha that Lubavitch put out in the early years in America. It came out during the war years, during World War II. And uh, the Rebbe was very involved. In fact, the Rebbe wrote many articles in, under a pen name. But there's one article there in Hakriya Vakadusha. It says like this. If you want to understand what is Pneumia Satayra, then let's look at the first three psukim of Taira. 
and how different it is when you understand it al pichsidis. And from just those first three psukim, you'll see how different it is al pichsidis. Then you'll be able to extrapolate how much different everything else becomes. So he says like this: First three psukim. Okay. So he says like this: Bereish is Elokim. In the beginning, Hashem created two ways that a person can live: Eisa Shamai, a spiritual life; the Eisa Aretz, materialistic life. It's talking about a person, talking about your life, and the person has to choose what kind of life he wants to have. So continue and read. The Ha'aretz. He chooses a materialistic life, obviously. That's the easiest. And consequently, Post and Vost. He chose a materialistic life, and he gets the consequences of that decision. It's meaningless, it's empty. So he says, you know what, this isn't working. Uh, let me get out of here. But it's dark, you can't get out. And where is he now? deep in the depths and what's with his nefesh alakis veruach alakim marachafes apnei amayim just floating out over the water he made a bad choice and now he's stuck he doesn't know how to get out of it and we only have one more pasuk left to end the story in a <laughs> with a nice Hollywood ending the last pasuk, Vayemer Lakim Hiyor Vayhiyor. So he says like this: Vayemer Nerzok Dermench. Person says, Elakim. Vayemer Lakim is not how Elakim said. Elakim Akazok. Vayemer Lakim. The person says, Elakim, God, Yihiyor, and immediately there is light for him. And for the world around him. So it says in Hakriya Vakdusha from those first three psukim, you could extrapolate how different all of Taita will be when you learn it in the light of Pnimiasa Taita. That, that's, that's the word. That you take something like which apichakira. Why did the Eved introduce himself? And not shaborosi Right? It talks about in in in, in Kuzari and other rishonim. Why does the Eved do that? Because it's impersonal. I created the world. Who was around when I created the world? No one was around there. So I make it more personal. I say, I took you out of Mitzrayim. Oh, that I can relate to. But Chassidus comes and takes something like something that's seemingly so f- removed. This is no, this is a story about you. This is a story about you. When the Alter Rebbe was in prison. I mean, there's a famous story of Ayaka. What's the important part of the story? The important part of the story is why the Alter Rebbe was happy that 
this minister accepted the story. You remember the, 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 the details of the story? The Altareb was in prison, and this minister came to him, and he was a religious uh, Christian, and he knew the Bible, and he asked him, uh, why did the Abishta tell, uh, ask God the Marisha Nayaka, where are you? When he surely knew her, where he was. The Altareb said, it's not to scare him. And uh, the minister, the guy, he said, what Rashi says, I also know. Oh, okay. And the, the minister said, I want to hear what the Rebbe has to say. So what did the Alta Rebbe say? This is the crucial part of the story. What did the Alta Rebbe say next? Anyone remember? What did he say next? No. He did not say that. This is the most important part of the story. It's funny how the most important part always gets forgotten. The Al-Tarebbe asked him, if you want to hear what I say, then first I want to ask you a question. Sounding familiar now? Do you believe that Torah is relevant in all places and at all times? And the minister said, yes, I do believe that. And the, the Alter Rebbe was happy because he knew that he was in prison and on trial as a kitrug against Tehidus about Shemtov, and that one of the main teachings of Tehidus about Shemtov is that Tehidus is relevant in all places, in all places, at all times. After the guys told him, yes, I believe Tehidus is relevant at all times and in all places, then the Altarebbe says, fine, I'll tell you what I say. Ayaka is talking to the person, to the individual. Where are you holding in your life? It's a personal thing. Ayak is not just something historically that happened on day six of creation in the afternoon when, when Odin messed up and Abishtha was punishing him. Ayaka is something in your life. Spartan Mine means that Pnimiya Satoira is talking about you. It's talking about your life. But you have to digest it and metabolize it and let it soak in. You, you learn a Sheikh Siddhis, that's beautiful. That's Khrisha. Maybe even Zriya, but it's not Ktsira. You have to take a walk around the block. I say talk, take a walk around the block because I, th I think it's more relatable. If I would tell you, after you finish a Sheikh Siddhis, close the Sefer and put your talus over your head and think for 20 minutes before davening. Then you get all intimidated. No, I can't do it. That's too... Okay, so then don't do that. So don't do that. After you finish your Sheikh Siddhis, close the Sefer and go take a walk around the block and say back to yourself what you learned in your own words. Until it becomes the way you see things. Until it becomes your brain. Until you're cleaning that piece of Torah. 
see this makes it exceptionally easy for us to do this. You still have to put in the work, but see this makes it so easy to take the highest concepts and make them personal. Somebody asked me recently, a guy was getting interested in, uh, in Kabbalah, he wanted to maybe learn Kabbalah, and uh, whatever, I don't want to dissuade him, but uh, I, I, I recommended to him that this might actually be what he's looking for. And uh, so he asked me, what's the difference between Kabbalah and Chassidus? So I told him that Kabbalah and Chassidus is like mathematics and engineering. To be an engineer, you have to know mathematics. But a mathematician doesn't necessarily know how to build a bridge. Kabbalah is the language, is the... Is the the oisius. It's like the mathematics. Chassidus is the engineering. It's how to build the bridge. There's an old saying, I don't know if it's so nice to say, but they say that Kabbalah came and turned Hashem into a man. The anthropomorphisms, basically, you know, the the spheres, the the Adam and came and turned the person into a shep. <laughs> Showed you that you're a chelik elikamimal. Mamish, mamish means in a goof. This is exciting stuff, and it's not that it's talking about in Elam Yenim. It's talking about here, in this world, in the same world where you eat kugel. It's, it's, that's the mind-blowing part of it. So, bottom line, you know, you learn Siddhis, and you look at life differently, and you look at business differently, and you look at marriage differently, and you look at your children differently, and you look at emotions differently, you know, anger and annoyance and anxiety, all this stuff that we all deal with, which I'm so, I just, I gotta tell you, I'm so sick of people asking me what psychological books that I learned these things from. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's such a chil Hashem. Why do from people read my column and ask me, where did I get these psychological insights from? It's a chil Hashem. That's like you come to my house and you eat my wife's cooking, you say, wow, this is treif, right? No, no, it's a kamala, because it's so good, it's treif, right? <laughs> That's what you're saying. Oh, but that was so practical and so relevant that that had to be from secular books. Oh, okay, now I, now I know what you think of Torah. I mean, I'm not going to pretend... I never heard about these concepts. Obviously, I heard these concepts. I didn't study them officially, but, you know, whatever. I, I, I heard the words, I heard the terms, and I, sometimes I use the oisius of it, because the same way, you know, you're explaining a concept of exodus, you use a mushal. A mushal, you're using the oisius of it to, to exp express a concept, but it's just oisius, just a way of expressing the concept. The concept is from exodus. All of these practical things that people assume 
come from secular sources? They don't. They, I promise you, they don't come from secular sources. They couldn't come from secular sources. The secular world doesn't have this stuff. It comes from Torah. Just, you have to sit and think for a minute how to translate it from theoretical to practical. But it's all there. It's all right there. Okay, so if you open a Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, it's spelled out for you. It tells you how to get up in the morning, how to wash your hands. Okay, it's spelled out for you. You open up a Mimer, and okay, a little bit more work is required. But not that much more work. It's not like you're opening up a Zayr and trying to get from Zayr to, you know, how to deal with life. You're opening up a Mimer. The Mimer did 99% of the work for you. Now just sit and think about it for a minute. But no, you don't want to think about it. You just want to learn it and, and, and feel good that you learned it and then that's it. Or be impressed by it or have a vort to repeat. Or, I mean, whatever. I, 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 know, I, I know myself. I know myself. I know what it is to misuse chassidus. To use it either because it's interesting or because it's a distraction or because it gives you something interesting to tell other people. I, I, I understand. But that's not what it's for. supposed to change you and it's supposed to guide you in practical everyday down-to-earth ways so if you learn to consider this it's not affecting your marriage it's not affecting your relationship with your kids not affecting the way you deal with annoying co-workers not affecting the way that you stress out or don't stress out about money then, then you're not learning to this properly the Rebbe speaks about this in Kuntras in Yonish Alteris Achsidis, you know, about the, the Eivishter says that Barasi Yetzahara, I created Yetzahara, but I made Toyota Tavlin. I made Toyota as a, as a literally spice, but it means uh, a remedy, an antidote. Uh, so the Rebbe says, Toyota Tavlin? Tavlin? For the Yetzirah, so basically that's what you're saying about Torah. Torah is how to deal with the Yetzirah. It sounds so demeaning. It sounds it's just so you're taking Torah, which is was written black fire on white fire two thousand years before the world was created, and then you're going to say, you know what it's for? It's for how to deal with your disgusting animalistic desires wow really so that explains there not that's what it says in the, in, in the Sefer Yetzirah everything's a circle the ends are wedged in the beginnings the beginnings are wedged in the end Torah of course it, it comes from above the worlds how do you see how lofty Torah is how low it comes down that it deals with the lowest nitty gritty dysfunction of real life. Meaning the 90% of letters I get that aren't published. The ones you see published are the tame ones. The 90% are not published because we have to pretend those issues don't go on in our community. There's real issues, real pain real dysfunction, conflict. And it's happening all around us. But, but, but here's the thing. Torah has guidance for that too. 
it would be unfortunate if we would use Torah when it comes to a Shailan Basa B'chalav, but not when we're really struggling with a, a problem in life that's getting to us. That's not Yisparnas and Mineh. That's you leave Torah up there on a high shelf and you admire it and you take it down as a museum piece once in a while to, to look at it and you put it back and keep it safe. I'll put it this way. If, if, if the Torah that I'm learning and I'm thinking about and then the davening also. Davening is important. Davening is when I'm really internalizing the, the, the learning. If that isn't addressing whatever it is that is heavy on my heart right now, I'm not doing it right. All of these tools are from Torah, and especially from the highest levels of Torah. The higher you go, the higher you go, the more practical it gets. So you would really, really, really want to deal with your, your low issues, the issues of Nefjabamis, the issues of Yetzahara. So the lower the problem, the higher the solution. It just requires translating it, internalizing it, absorbing it. You have mashpiyam, I mean, so that's what they're there for. You learn a mimer and you can't figure out how it's relevant. You go to the mashpiyam and you say, how is this talking about me? I know it's talking about me. Explain it to me. Help me make this relevant. Unfortunately, you know, <coughs> rabbis get the opposite reputation of being irrelevant, talking over people's heads. You know the story about the guy who was in a hot air balloon? And he would get, the wind blew him off course and he was lost. He flew out over some field and he saw a guy down below and he screams, Hey, you down there! I'm lost! Where am I? And the guy down on the ground said, and the guy down on the ground says, You're in a hot air balloon! The guy says, yeah, thank you, yeah. But where? Where in the world? He says, 29 degrees east, 12 degrees north, longitude. He says, okay, yeah, but where in relation to, like, a, lo a location on the ground? He says, about 30 meters off the ground. <laughs> The guy in the hot air balloon says, Are you a rabbi? The guy on the ground says, Yes, I am. How did you know? The guy in the hot air balloon says, From the minute I met you, everything you've told me has been 100% true and totally irrelevant. So, you know, you say a good word, and, uh, you know, 
it's interesting, and maybe it's even inspiring. But it's irrelevant. I don't feel like it's talking about me. That's terrible. It's not how it's supposed to be. If you're learning properly, there should come that point in every mimer, in every sicha, where it just hits you how personal this is. How this is talking about exactly what it is that you're going through right now. And it's amazing because, you know, there's so many layers. You learn one mimer and you see something in it one time and then a year later, five years later, ten years later you learn it another time and, and what you're going through then you find it you find it there and it's a totally different thing but you just keep finding personal relevance because it's all there. It's all there. It's also why we need the Fabreng because sometimes the Fabrengen gives an opportunity to just translate the concepts into everyday language. You know, to talk about the ideas the way we really talk. That's why some mashpiyam even, you know, especially certain mashpiyam of note, you know, uh, of certain styles, were known to talk in a way that, uh, frankly, many would consider crass or off-color. You know, it was a mashpia Zaman Moshe, and he was known to speak in a way that was uh, turned off a lot of people. They didn't like it. They thought it was very uh, grub. And he would explain, I'm trying to get through to the Nefeshabamis. I got to speak words the Nefeshabamis understands. The Febrengen's not for the Nefeshalakis. The Febrengen's for the Nefeshabamis. You got to translate it to him in his language. <laughs> I was speaking one time. And I'll tell you a cute story. I, I, I gave a speech somewhere. It doesn't matter where. It was somewhere in North America. I'll limit it to that. And afterwards, some, some guy comes to me, and he says to me, he's like, he's like, he says, I was like, it's not, he says, you're not talking refined. And I was like, what? what I said, what did I say? It was not idle. I got scared, I got nervous, maybe I let something slip, you know, I don't know what I said. So he said, Bayidin, Zugmin, Aibishta, Bashefer, Kudishburichi. I'm like, what did I say? He said, he said, God. I'm like, oh no, that's what he was upset about. There was like this grub English, you know. God, yeah, I should have said Hashem, I should have said Kodesh Baruch I said God. So I, I, I said to the guy, I said, listen to me, I want to tell you something. When I get up at three in the morning to go to the bathroom and I walk through the hallway of the house and my kids had been playing Lego earlier in the day and they left their Legos there on the floor. And it's three in the morning and I step right on that Lego. You know that, you know what I'm talking about? Three in the morning, you step full force on that Lego. 
I want to tell you something. I don't scream out, Beshefer, Abishter, Hashem, Kodesh Baruch I say, Oh God! <laughs> so when I come here to your shul and I, and I, and I, and I say, Advar Torah, I want to use the same language in teaching Torah that my Nevejabamis uses at 3 in the morning when it steps on a Lego. Because if they're two different languages, we're, we're, I'm wasting your time. I'm not here to say Shana Torahs. I mean, the fact that that's an expression itself is very revealing. Shana Torahs is an expression. It basically means, yeah, yeah, it's very nice. Yeah. Tell me more. Beautiful. We're here to get real. Getting real means we talk in the language of Nevejabamis. That, 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 that's, that's the Hiddish. Rabbi Shimon ben Yechai wrote a sefer that's the, the, the highest of the high, and yet, that, that you eat it, you digest it, you, like, like, like a piece of kugel. I mean, it's. And if you can't do it from the Zaya, which very few of us today can, Chsidis does it for us. But the point is, Pinimia Satayra is not lofty. Pinimia Satayra Fakert, not Tchilosa Besaifan, Besaifan Tchilosa. That the loftiness of Pinimia Satayra is revealed dafke in the fact that Chsidis, Pinimia Satayra, deals with our lives and the issues that we're really dealing with and we're struggling with. Not one idea I ever wrote in that, in that column that was insightful came from any other source but from Pneumius Atayra. And 99% of it from the Rebbe's Torah. But if I, you know, the Rebbe said you don't have to say Vishem Emre, but if I would, then it would be 20 times on every page. So whatever. So that's one of the reasons why I don't do it. The other reasons as well, because unfortunately, some people need to just hear the message and not know who the messenger is. And uh, so, so we, we accommodate those people. It's okay. Hopefully they're not watching this video.
Yeah, yeah. 